Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the Bald Face Truth. Welcome in. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. JC will be back tomorrow. Just needed to squeak in one more day before he revs up for college football season. Of course, week zero getting underway this weekend i'm ready i was looking at the lineup i'm trying to figure out a balance how much college football am i going to watch during week zero uh definitely going to catch uh we'll watch northwestern we'll watch that game in ireland i don't know how much else i'm going to watch but i'm ready you know it's all about the ritual it's all about the feeling it's all about the food hanging out with friends having it on in the background even if you're not invested i'm ready for it of course There was a little bit of news today. Brett McMurphy, great, great college sports reporter. He's reporting that Oregon initiated preliminary discussions with the Big Ten to determine if the Ducks are compatible in that conference. Now, reportedly, uh, Michael Schill, who is the outgoing president at U of O, the athletic director Rob Mullins, and Big Ten commissioner Kevin Warren, were not involved in any discussions that have been held. So it sounds like this is really, really preliminary stuff, possibly just an exploratory phone call. It could have been as small as just, uh, hey, hey, just wanted to reach out. Are you going to give us everything we want? And is this going to be a dream scenario? Yes or no? So could be something, could be nothing. But it's interesting that this conversation, at least in a preliminary stage, has taken place. Uh, of course, John Canzano wrote about it at johnconzano.com. And, uh, you know, Canzano's been told early on, he's been reporting that Phil Knight and uh, Tinker Hatfield, very interested in exploring different options. So it sounds like maybe the Nike group here might be doing some of the uh, heavy lifting in this exploration. Because, of course, USC, UCLA uh, reportedly moving on. USC, it's uh, basically a done deal. UCLA... I guess we'll call it probably moving on. I mean, of course, the uh, the board in California could have something to say about that. I don't think they'll block this move. They might ask for some revenue to go to Cal in some sort of revenue sharing agreement. But they're going to the Big Ten. Oregon, the tentpole basically remaining uh, or on the, among the remaining 10 universities. And uh, there seems to be a prevailing sentiment among ADs in the Pac-12 is that Oregon shopped itself around pretty significantly after those two schools announced their departure. And uh, it learned that it didn't have any great immediate options. There might be something in the future, but at this exact point in time, maybe the Big Ten wasn't exactly ready to strike then. I mean, do you want to go to the Big 12 and all the problems that that conference has? So the Pac-12 ADs, in the meantime, continuing to meet at least once a week. 
Uh, several of them have been asked if Oregon's expressed a desire for maybe unequal revenue sharing or even a shorter media rights deal so that they can keep their options. And at least one AD said not at all. Oregon hasn't been pounding on the table. They've made no real clear demands in an open forum. So you would assume that like the rest of the schools, they're interested in kind of seeing what comes of this media rights negotiation. Of course, I've got Stephen Vaughn, Sean McPherson with me as well. And fellas, I want to ask you, and I do want to open this up, 503-417-7575. What do you guys make of this? Uh, Reports Brett McMurphy, the Oregon has at least initiated some preliminary discussions with the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense for Oregon. Do your due diligence. Uh, just in case, you know, the you know, it seems like UCLA is on their way to the Big Ten, but there is a little bit of pushback. And so we've heard things where UCLA may not be allowed to go to the Big Ten, has to stay in the Pac-12. And if you're Oregon, I talked about this last week, you got to be ready to jump on this. You know, the Big Ten obviously wants to have, um, you know, a lot of teams this year, they want to get two from the Pac-12 or, or for next year, I believe, 2024, I'm sorry. But if UCLA can't go, USC is going anyways. So the Big Ten is going to have to bring someone. So if Notre Dame is not ready to go, if you're Oregon, you're probably next up in line. you got to be ready to do it. So just get your due diligence done. I understand that it's not a done deal and it's not for sure, and it would suck for the Pac-12 if this ended up happening. But I think if you're Oregon, man, you just you got to be ready to jump. And I, so I like the decision that they've made, and Phil Knight obviously wants to make the most money that he possibly can. He wants to make Oregon a national brand as he has. So this is a good move, I think, for Oregon just to have all of your, your paths crossed. Like, if it doesn't work out, you can always go back to the Pac-12. If it does work out, you can go to where the money is in the Big Ten. I think it's a good move for Oregon uh, just in general. I think this is news. I definitely think this is news. I think for some people, you know, you see this and you think, well, if Michael Schill and Rob Mullins and uh, the rest of the actual crew at Oregon isn't there, then, then why do I care? Well, it's because of what you said, Peter. It's because people like Phil Knight, Tinker Hatfield, Pat Kilkenny, those people really matter um, inside Oregon's walls, and clearly uh, it sounds like, you know, if there was a meeting, I'd imagine that those those people were there, and they have more power than, than maybe anyone. So, uh, like Steven said, I think that, obviously, you know, you don't want to get left behind if you're Oregon, uh, and, you know, that involves probably looking out for yourself a little bit, uh, maybe kind of flirting with the Big Ten a, a bit, and um, you know, seeing, seeing if there's a move in which it could be maybe Oregon and Washington, and then maybe uh, either Stanford or Cal or, you know, Notre Dame or some ACC schools. I think it makes a lot of sense if this is the way that college sports is going. Um, and funny enough, I, I heard, I saw a tweet a couple hours ago, the Big Ten Network, you know what they were airing? Hmm. Michigan State, Oregon. So they know what they're doing over there at the Big Ten Network. And then after that, they played Wisconsin-USC on the Big Ten Network. That was, <laughs> those are the games they played. They're and, trolling today. Yeah, I think the I think the question for me, Peter, is, who's more important to, like, Oregon football, Oregon athletics? Is it the outgoing... Uh, president is it the AD or is it Phil Knight? I kind of think it's Phil Knight. He's, I do too. he's where all the money goes. And so if he's interested in this move, I think it is like Sean said, it is news to, to think about. Yeah, without a doubt. And it's interesting, you know, the media rights deal, Pac 12 looking for a deal. You got to imagine that's going to be predominantly or mostly. ESPN uh, related, not probably not going to expect anything till after Labor Day. You wonder, and again, I I get the feeling that they're just uh, sort of feeling out their options there, seeing what's there. But if all of a sudden we get caught off guard and there's something fairly imminent, that throws a big wrinkle in the Pac-12's negotiations as well. Oh, no doubt. And you know, I it is surprising to me that you hear things that the Big Ten wasn't interested in Oregon at the start. I, I just think it's crazy. Oregon has turned itself into a national brand. And so I don't understand why they wouldn't want to. I just saw a list. Oregon was a top 12 school nationally 
on right. amount of views of uh, TV ratings. Like they get the most eyeballs on their game. So it is a big brand. And so I think if you're the Big Ten, you got to have some interest. You obviously want some other schools before Oregon. But if you're the Big Ten, you got interest. If you're Oregon, you got to do your due diligence. You got to just figure out what the best option for you is, whether it is to stay, whether it's to go. You always got to hear them out, right? You don't know what the deals are going to be until you hear out those deals. So when that, someone's offering you something, that's my advice to everybody in, in, in the real world. Just if you hear, if you get an offer for somebody, hear them out before you say no. Just hear them out, see what happens, and then go from there. Yeah, no, I and you make a good point, Peter. I think that uh, it's really interesting that the Pac-12 is probably weeks, months away from a big TV rights negotiation, and here you have reports that Oregon is kind of flirting to you know potentially leave the conference. And if Oregon leaves, that means another school comes with them. At least at least one other school. Probably Washington is coupled with Oregon. And then you never know if they, you know, the Big 12 wants to go up to 20. Then, uh, or excuse me, the Big 10 wants to go up to 20. Then it could be Stanford and Cal. Right. And then if all those schools leave, then you know you can you can definitely bet that Arizona, Colorado, ASU, Utah, those schools are are out as well, probably to the Big 12. So there's a chance this whole thing falls apart. And the other thing I'll say is that this makes sense for the Big 10 because we talked about this last week. The Big 10 and that that big monster media rights deal that it struck. It had a clause on there that said this could go up to ten billion if you add more schools. You know, so it was like a growth clause. So the Big Ten, I think, uh, you know, Kevin Warren has been outspoken saying, you know, we'd be interested in going up to twenty. You know, I know he said that on an HBO program recently. So I, I think this makes sense for the Big Ten. And obviously, like I said, you know, if you're Oregon, you don't want to get left behind. You don't want to be, you don't want to be like Clemson, where you're like you're you're a really good football school but you're not really playing anyone all year, and you really kind of have to go undefeated and be a strong team just to make the playoffs. So I think this makes a lot of sense if you're Oregon. Yeah, it definitely makes sense if you're the Big Ten. Again, just the financial drivers, uh, obviously massive scheduling advantages if you could add, say, an Oregon and a Washington. And for Oregon, I mean, the question I keep coming back uh, to here is, I mean, I guess there's a possibility. It could just be a leverage play to maybe get some uneven uh, revenue distribution. Maybe say, like, look, man, USC, UCLA are gone. Uh, we're the big boys left in what's now the Pac-10, at least as of you know this moment, the future Pac-10. Maybe we just want a little bit of a higher uh, percentage of revenue, and maybe it's astronomical. Maybe it's just another, you know, an extra 2%, what have you, because uh, this based on the timing, would certainly be a very effective leverage play. Yeah, it really would. And if you're Oregon, this is what you got to do, right? This is the landscape of college football. It's about making money. And we've learned that college football and college sports in general, it's not about not about the athletes, not about the players. It's about the money that can be made. And it's a lot of money that is made. So there's money out there. Oregon sees their eyes on it. They got to do it. You got to, like Sean said, you don't want to be left behind. That's That would be the worst case scenario. So you have to be aggressive in what you want to do. We've seen schools, we've seen conferences like the Pac-12 play it safe when Larry Scott was here and not be aggressive to try to get teams in. And now look at them, it seems like the Pac-12 could go away. So you just got to stay aggressive and, you know, be on your toes and be ready to make some adjustments because change is okay. I think people get so scared of change right. that they're just afraid of it. But sometimes change can be really, really good. And I think for Oregon, whether it is to stay in the Pac-10, whether it is to leave, you just got to play out all the options and see what happens. 503-417-7575. Are, what do you think? I mean, should Oregon look to do this? 
Are you a Pac-12 traditionalist, Pac-10 traditionalist, Pac-8 traditionalist? Do you want Oregon staying in this conference? Should this conference even continue to exist if you lose the SoCal teams, Oregon and Washington? I mean, that might be the beginning of a slow motion end. Who knows? 503-417-7575. Of course, you can tweet at the show as well. You can tweet me at Peter Sampson, S-A-M-P-S-O-N. Larry's in on Twitter. He he agrees with you, Stephen. He says, look, hopefully U of O does what's good for U of O. The remaining schools will do what works for each individual institution. Change is okay. And that's exactly right. Look, I mean, I like to consider myself a traditionalist. You know, I romanticize the idea of how sports used to be, whether it's even true or not. You know, that's why I'm a baseball fan, things like that. But the worst reason, I've learned this in business, I've learned this in my whole life, the worst reason to do something is because that's the way it's been done. That's a terrible reason. You should always explore things. And, I mean, look, I understand wanting to keep the conference together. I understand wanting to work together to work everything out. But ultimately, I think always, and especially in this era, you got to do what you got to do. It's the era of change. If you're going to make the big splash, you're going to do something like this. Now's the time to do it. It's not going to be as shocking. People aren't going to be as you know broken up over this as they would have been even 12 months ago. So if you're looking to uh, make a big upgrade for you, your your university, get in a situation that's better for you, now's the time. Yeah, I mean, just think about some of the changes that has been made in sports within the past, plat- or past few years, right? The NFL moved the, moved the extra point back. It seems like that's been a great idea. But when it first happened, right. there was a lot of pushback on it. The NBA has changed a lot of different things, a lot of pushback. But you know what? It seems like it's been better. I understand. I'm with you. I'm more of a traditionalist. I love the Pac-12. I love the Pac-10. But it was the Pac-10. They went and they got Utah and Colorado. Seems like a good it was move. the Pac-8. It was the Pac- <laughs> right. Yeah. The Pac- I, you know when I you know, when I grow up, I was a kid. Pac-10. That's all. That's what I knew growing up. It gets the Pac-12. That was a good move. So change is okay. And yes, I understand that it could ruin Pac-12, but it also could help the Pac-12. If Oregon goes and they figure out, well, you know what, it's not the best move to go to the Big Ten. We're going to really invest in the Pac-12 and try to get that conference back up. It could be better. So I just think. I think it's best for all parties to just figure out what is best for every conference and every school and do what's best for you. Yeah, no, I think we're over the, uh, I, I think we're over the, uh, the denial stage of this. I think we've accepted that this is the case. I, I know UCLA still still got some stuff going on with, uh, you know, the state and everything, and it's still kind of ongoing. But I, I think, you know, it's been a couple of months since this news was announced uh, with USC and UCLA moving the conference, and now I think it's it's time for schools to get real and. Uh, you know, rather than just being upset, you know, we're past that. And I think uh, for Oregon, it's just such a such a big brand. I mean, last week we we're on the show talking about Bronny James going to Oregon, LeBron James' son. So, like, Oregon is on that level with other schools. And if you're on that level, you got to make sure you're, again, I've said this several times in this segment, you got to make sure you're doing what's best for you. And it feels like the Big Ten is going to be where the party's at. Um, it's one of the two conferences where, you know, like, that's, that's where the party's at in college sports, college football. And... Uh, you can't afford to get left behind if you're a school like Oregon. So, I uh, I honestly hope this happens. And you know, if not, like, because we've we've spent months on this show talking about what talking about what the Pac-12 could do, you know. And it sounds like we've really came to you know San Diego State, Boise State. Is that good enough for Oregon? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not so sure. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. Where do you stand on this? We've got a huge show today. Tom Brady's back. Kayvon Thibodeau is injured. I've got some thoughts 
believe it or not, on Mario Cristobal. I watched some uh, NFL preseason over the weekend, and uh, something happened that got me thinking about Cristobal and uh, a whole lot more. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson in for Canzano. He'll be back tomorrow. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Been a solid Monday. I had a great weekend. Mondays are always easier if you have a good weekend. Mine was chill. The garden's popping. Made a bunch of uh, uh, like a Sunday gravy, you know, pasta sauce, which is already mostly gone. Uh, even though I did make like four quarts, uh, that was nice. And man, I caught the uh, the game of the uh, Game of Thrones prequel last night, House of Dragon. Have either of you guys seen this? Did you watch it last night? Uh, no, I have not watched it as I have not watched any of the Game of Thrones. So. Oh, you've never seen Game I've, of Thrones? I've never at all. seen okay. it. I probably should, but uh, you know, I'm I'm the type of person that. Yo, if everyone's going to tell me something's really good, I'm going to go the opposite way. Just say, you know what? I refuse to watch it. I get that. I'm my bad guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that's a, that's a good way of good way of thinking, but you do you. That's, uh, that's just me. It's a, it's a me problem. <laughs> yeah, no, I watched all of Game of Thrones about four years ago. Um, so I have I, I have a lot of uh, you know kind of a dull memory of of my Game of Thrones knowledge. So I gotta I gotta visit some YouTube videos before I jump into this new show. But yeah, I heard it's good. Yeah, you do. so it, it takes place about 170 years before Game of Thrones. And I think what works for this that didn't work for Game of Thrones and and you know it's fairly universal. The first five years of Game of Thrones, the five seasons I should say, were as good as it gets. And once they got past the books, the books that had been written, they really struggled, and it was clear they kind of wanted to move on to uh, other projects. But this is based on another uh, George R. R. Martin book. So the the story is written. It's done. It's deep. It's in the world. But uh, the premiere, which is the pilot as well, and pilots always struggle a little bit because they're trying to establish, you know, relationships and intrigue in the world. And it's hard because in subsequent episodes or even seasons of a show, you sort of have that background knowledge, right? Now, I've never read the book that this was based on, but it was very good. I enjoyed it. You know, I sort of tangentially know this story just from having seen Game of Thrones, but it seemed pretty faithful uh, to the source material. And of course, it had everything that Game of Thrones was great for. Of course, there was action, there was gore, uh, there was everything else. But that's not what made Game of Thrones great, right? It was the it was the depth of uh, character relationships, that sort of world building. And it's interesting. This is the first of a couple uh, Game of Thrones uh, vehicles. I think they're making a uh, a sequel as well uh, that'll follow uh, John Stark, and uh, there might even be another one in the books. But uh, HBO, or I should say, uh, parent company Warner. You know, they bought HBO. They're under a lot of pressure to deliver here because uh, Warner has something like they're like. $50 billion in debt. It's this massive debt load that they have. And I'm really curious to see how they're going to handle HBO. Because HBO, as far as streaming goes, is top of class for me. It's better than Netflix. It's better than Hulu. It's better than Prime. It's better than all of it. 
But when you have a bunch of suits coming in and needing to balance the books, are they going to use that thing, as John Oliver called it, on HBO? Are they going to treat the channel like a business that they're going to burn down for the insurance money? And look, I mean, I'm, I'm an old man. I don't care about Sesame Street. But I did see that for no reason they did remove 200 episodes of Sesame Street just a few days ago. Why would you do that? It's not like it's costing server space, right? It's co- But it's cost savings. So I'm curious to see what they're going to do with this intellectual property. Now, that's a long-winded way of saying they need this thing to be a hit. And it's not an accident that it came out here on August 21st. Because, look, some people, myself included, are, you know, fantasy geeks. I admit it. I play D&D. I admit it. That's fine. Some people, most people, I would say, aren't, but they enjoy a good show if it's a good show, and that can include fantasy stuff. Now, the reason it's important that it came out August 21st is in just a couple weeks, the Lord of the Rings show, that series, not the movies, not the books, you know, a a series based on that is debuting on Amazon Prime. It's based on the the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. Everyone knows that that is sort of the... uh, the template when it comes to fantasy world building. So you have these two massive entities coming out around the same time, big budget, big results expected. And I mean, this Lord of the Ring thing is going to be huge. I went to a, I went to a, a movie yesterday. I went to a Regal Cinemas and they actually in the previews, they even had a preview for this straight to Amazon Prime streaming show. That's how uh, big the expectations are for this. And I'm curious Because of the expectations, and I'll say this politely because I'm counting myself among them, the expectations of nerds everywhere, who's under more pressure here? Is it Warner to deliver a Game of Thrones prequel with the debt that they have? They need it to be a financial success, but also the way everyone was almost universally left disappointed by the end of Game of Thrones Or, of course, then you have Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, even if you've never read the books. The movies are perfect, and uh, people care very deeply about that series. Who's under more pressure to deliver here? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of either of them. It sounds like, to me, from the research I know, uh, sounds like I would say HBO and Warner is under more pressure because of the way that it ended the series. As you said, the first few seasons were awesome, and then it ended really bad. I think it could kind of replace that bad ending. And it was it seemed like it was universally hated, right? Am I wrong about that? It it was. Like I like everyone seemed to hate the ending of it. They did. Now, to be fair, I thought the last season was okay. It was okay, but you compare it to what came before it when you're talking comparison, it right. was terrible. Yeah, and that's the thing for me. I think for Game of Thrones, it was such a good series leading up to the last couple series where if this if this prequel really hits off I think a lot of it can be forgiven of how it was ended for the original show. Yeah, no, I think uh, it's got to be Game of Thrones and Warner. And, you know, you, you mentioned the debt, but I I remember being so disappointed with the way Game of Thrones ended because it was, I watched it all at one time. So I kind of had that memory of, okay, season one was incredible. Season two, season the first three, five, yeah. five. And then six comes around, which was what I was building up towards. That was kind of the, the big finish for me. And it just, it was so disappointing and it felt so rushed. And the the way the show ended, it's just like really that that that's what you came up with. So um, I I think the prequel, you know, Game of Thrones, I think was flirting with being one of the best shows of all time. It I really think, was. I think it fumbled the bag. It was the hard. last the last three seasons. Six had a little bit of a dip, 
and then seven and eight. And and again, if you're into action and stuff like like it was it was fantastic. If you didn't think about it, if you just sat back with a beer and surround sound and you just let it envelop you, it was like, yeah, yeah. but it was sort of, you, you, I mean, and I, you have to suspend belief anyway or suspend disbelief anyway because it's fantasy. But all of a sudden it was like, what's the phrase plot armor comes to mind. And you can't have plot armor. And what that means is, you know, the superhero is just walking through a hail of bullets. He fires one shot and kills the bad guy. But the 70 bullets that came his way magically missed him. It's plot armor. All of a sudden, the main characters in Game of Thrones developed plot armor in the last two seasons. And it was a mess. So I think they're under more pressure to deliver financially, certainly. But I'm I'm telling you, man, a lot of nerds care about Lord of the Rings. And if it's not accurate and true and pure, they're going to flip out. Well, that's like uh, when Star Wars got rebooted. I know a lot of people were nervous about Like A lot of people were nervous that you know it was going to hurt the integrity of the original movies. And it seems like it hasn't. It seems like it's gone on pretty well. And for me, I, just, I said Game of Thrones because... We just finished with this series. Sean's a big fan of it. Better Call Saul. Like mm-hmm. it was the pre or it was the sequel to Breaking or the prequel. I'm sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The prequel, prequel of Breaking Bad. And I think not only did it make Breaking Bad probably better in the view of people, but it it added on to the series, right? Like it made it that much better. Breaking Bad was already considered one of the better series out there. This prequel added on to it. And basically now it's like combined as one giant show. So I think for Game of Thrones, it can erase a little bit of that and it can get back to maybe up there where it's talked about as one of the top series and, ever. And I think that's the goal. And and as someone who has not finished Better Call Saul, I'm literally seasons behind on that. The stories aren't related. There's an overlap of obviously one main character. And I think you have a couple more tangentially. But ultimately, it's that depth of world building. It, it really makes the, this fictional universe feel alive. And and I do think, man, based on the pilot last night, I do think this House of Dragon show can do that. So if you're down on, if you enjoyed Game of Thrones, you ended up down on Game of Thrones. First episode was pretty good, man. It was really, really good. There were a couple subtle callbacks to the main series. Um, I didn't even realize that they were callbacks, but you have familiar locations. It was it was good, man. I liked it. Highly recommend. So I, you're feeling good about it. You think you think it could really help out. I think it can, but it's so hard with just a pilot where that you know that's the sh- the the show that you make to get greenlit to keep making shows, right. and so you have forever to make a pilot. After that, you got six months to bang out 12 more. You know what I mean? And sometimes things can really change. Like Mad Men, my favorite show in the world, the first episode, the pilot, was made 18 months before literally episode two. The pilot, it has such a different feel, and it's good, but it's not what what the show ended up being, which in my opinion was much better. Now, that can also go the other way. So we could have this killer, killer pilot. It got greenlit. Okay, well, now Warner owns us, and so we got to keep it under budget, and man, we have to spend so much on these dragons and CGI, so we're we're only going to do a couple takes here because, man, we got to pay union and all that stuff. It could potentially not work out. I, I, you don't want it to run into the same problem that Game of Thrones did, the original one, of going too long, right? I feel like that's where all the all these really great series you know, we think of all time, they kind of end after five, six seasons. It's never like the eight, nine, ten. It, it, Game of Thrones is interesting. It 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 either should have ended earlier, like basically when they ran out of source material for the books. It either should have ended on a just an open cliffhanger, or, and this might sound weird, it should have went like 10 seasons because 
the last two were so rushed. And again, so all of a sudden you have these non-believable things happen. And look, it's a non-believable world, right? It's fantasy. There's dragons and right. monsters and stuff. But you, if you take enough time, you can make that quote-unquote believable. And all of a sudden it was just like magic nonsense. I think they just rushed it a yeah, little bit. And that's the thing. Like, I love The Sopranos. It's my favorite show ever. But there is no real closing, right? No one knows actually what happened. Well, I mean, we, we all think we, we all think we, we know. know what happened. Well, do we? Yeah. Do we? Yeah. yeah. I could he died. Argue, I could, I could yeah. argue that he didn't. Nah. But exactly. See, that's the David thing. Chase disagrees. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. But uh, that's the thing. Like, I'm okay with having questions at the end of series. I don't need all, all these questions answered. And so, for me, I just love a shorter series just to get my mind racing, right? To keep thinking about it. We right. keep talking about it. We don't, I don't need all these answers. So, for this new series, I would, you know, and I'm not even a fan, but it seems like if they go too long again, that's where they could run into problems. Man, if if The Sopranos is your favorite show and you like an open-ended ending, you need to watch Mad Men, bro. You would love it. I guarantee it. And uh, Matthew Matthew Weiner, who's the showrunner for Mad Men, he was one of the head writers for The Sopranos. It's chef's kiss, man. It, seriously, if that's your show, you would dig it. Yeah, I got to do that. I got to do it. I know numerous people have told me this. So, Is there a better uh, streaming? Is anyone arguing that there's a better streaming service than HBO right now? I, there, mean, I how can't see one. How could you? Yeah. Who's going to make that argument? Like Netflix, eh, yeah, Hulu, and... I, I feel like HBO Max, I, I heard it crashed last night because so many people were trying to watch the show. <laughs> and then you also have Hard Knocks going on right now, which I've been really enjoying. Yeah, it's a great show. Uh, the rehearsal, have either of you guys tried that one? I haven't Maybe yet. Filter. That's another good show. And that's you still going have on right what now. else is on there? Uh, Succession, isn't that HBO? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Succession's Barry's on there. On there. Oh, yeah, Barry's on there. Barry Succession and Barry are obviously both on, you know, seasons concluded months ago. But uh, yeah, not to no. mention, I'm sorry to cut you off, but man, HBO, not only that. They have uh they have the rights for uh, TCM the Turner Classic Movies and if you're like me man if I'm bored I'll just put on some rando movie from the 40s I've never seen it's a great way to sort of you, people start talking about stuff and you're like oh I've seen that yeah and uh, they have the rights to all that so you know oh you've never seen Citizen Kane it's on there you've never seen Casablanca all these cultural touch points they have literally all of them yeah and all the old series from the HBO is really good as well also, yeah they got the wire the wire they got um uh what's the detective show I can't think of what it's called with uh oh you, my you know, uh, yeah true detective yes true detective yeah. it has true detective I couldn't think of what it's called but yeah it's got Herb your enthusiasm yeah, South I, Park. yeah Silicon Valley <laughs> Like, all these shows are awesome. They're from HBO. So, like, I agree with you, Sean. Like, how could anyone argue that HBO is not the best? Yeah, and not to mention, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the cost goes up here again because Warner's taking it over. But it's such a value. You know, I pay fourteen ninety nine a month for standalone. And then I get the Netflix bill. And, I mean, I, I've kept my Netflix. You know, it's it had Stranger Things. That was awesome. But, okay, cool. Stranger Things is done. It's not going to be back for, like, two years. What is there there in the meantime? I guess they have a bunch of great comedy acts. Like, the, the new Bill Burr special was rad. But, ultimately, that can only take you so far. Right. I mean, we have it because, you know, we have kids, and I know they like to watch Netflix. I think that's the important one. Is like, if you have kids, mm-hmm. like, you got to get Netflix. You got to get all because they have all their little shows for all the little channels they got. So, yeah, I mean, we got all of them, but. Yeah, HBO is the one I usually go to. Once the kids go to bed, even if the wife goes to bed, I'm turning on the HBO and figuring something out. I'm with you there. So uh, House of Dragon, highly recommended if you were uh, off, turned off by the end of Game of Thrones, but you love that first five seasons, go ahead and give it a shot. By the way, speaking of kids, uh, I'm sure I don't need to tell you this. 
Uh, don't let the kids watch it. All right, we'll go away, come back, get back to sports on the other side. A new Western Conference contenders expressing interest in Kevin Durant. I'll tell you who and why next. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson in for JC. He will be back tomorrow. I always appreciate getting the opportunity to keep the seat warm. And I appreciate you listening to me here in Portland, Eugene, Roseburg, Klamath Falls. Hope your Monday is going okay. So a new Western Conference contender reportedly, according to Shams, is expressing interest in Kevin Durant. The Memphis Grizzlies possibly emerging as a contender in the Kevin Durant sweepstakes. They have five first-round picks to theoretically use in a KD trade. But uh, here's where the problem comes in. Because, look, not only do they have those picks, but the Memphis Grizzlies, one of the most well-rounded, young rosters in the association. Basically, not only are they good but they're going to get better. You saw John Morant missed a lot of time. Uh, they played just as well. Frankly, they even played a tiny bit better without John Morant. It's because they're balanced. They're young. I know Jaron Jackson Jr. is dealing with the injury. He's going to be out a couple months to start the season. They have nice young pieces. But sources, Shams sources, say they will not make Jaron Jackson Jr. or Desmond Bain available. Yeah, it's going to be a problem. If you want Kevin Durant, they're going to want some good young players among the picks. And look, don't get me wrong. I don't blame the Nets for trying to highball everybody and saying, yeah, we'll uh, yeah, we'll send him to Phoenix, but we want D-Book, we want four first-rounders, and we want to sign and trade uh, you know, DeAndre Ayton or what have you. They're not going to be held hostage by this situation. So if you're Memphis, what a Dylan Brooks and five first rounders is not going to get it done. Are they going to be, they wouldn't be crazy enough to trade John Morant for him, even though truly Memphis. And I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm not saying this to sit to uh, make a statement about John Morant. I'm only sta- uh, stating facts. They did have a better record without John Morant than they had with John Morant. I don't blame him. I'm just saying that they did. There's no way you're going to trade John Morant, an up-and-coming superstar, for a disgruntled, you know, injury-prone, I guess you can say, also superstar, even if that guy is Kevin Durant. I don't think Memphis fans would tolerate that. Besides that, fellas, five picks, there's nothing here. If you're not going to move Jaron Jackson Jr. or Desmond Bain, maybe you could get away with it. Desmond Bain, some other players, and literally all five picks and a couple pick swaps on the on the picks that you don't make available. But without that, it's a non-starter. Yeah, the only other guy they have is Zaire Williams, who's a top 10 pick a right. season ago. Uh, he started a few games for them, was playing in the playoffs a little bit, so that he has some potential. He's got some uh, games to him. But yeah, I mean, if you're the Nets... The starting point is, you know, I wouldn't want to say both of them, but probably both of them, right? Jaron Jackson and right. Desmond Bain. Like, if you have Kevin Durant, you're going to try to get some really good players back for him. And those are two really good young players. Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, one of the best defensive shot blockers in the NBA, Desmond Bain. One of, if not the best, three-point shooter, uh, like a standstill three-point shooter. Like, he is awesome at that job. He's really turned into a good player. But the Grizzlies, man, they are young. They got a lot of picks. They got a, a lot of young players. 
They are. I've gotten some arguments with Blazer fans about some people think the Grizzlies just had a had a you know, lucky season. That's why they got the two mm, seed. Mm-mm, I totally mm-mm. disagree. I think they are on the rise. And if they can somehow acquire a guy like Kevin Durant, not give up too much, and you combine Durant with John Morant, that is an instant NBA Finals contender, yep. even in the tough Western Conference. So I think Memphis is they're trying to capitalize on John Morant still on that rookie deal, right, before that big contract extension comes in. I think they're going to try to go out and make another big move. They got the assets. They got some young players. They got the picks. I like Memphis's future a lot. I, I do as well, uh, and you hit it right on the head. Uh, we talk about this with the quarterbacks. Look, you got to build around your quarterback before you have to pay him. The Chargers are doing that this year. By the way, if you're in Eugene, you can listen to Justin Herbert every Sunday on Fox Sports Eugene. You're welcome. And uh, this is the NBA version of that. They would and. This was not a lucky team last year. This is a good team. It's a young team. It's only going to get better. You can't tell me. Jaron Jackson, again, I know he's hurt. He's got still so much room to grow. John Moran, I don't know if Jaws got yet another gear in him. He might, but he I, he's not going to fall off. I think Desmond Bain can get better. You mentioned uh, Jair. He's still young. I mean, he's 20 years old. Yeah, they have great pieces. Dylan Brooks is decent. You know, dirty hit on GP2, nonwithstanding. Yeah. Uh, d- to his credit, I didn't think Dylan Brooks was an NBA player when he got drafted. I, he'll stick around and he'll hang on some rosters. He's turned himself into a legit NBA player. But if you're not going to part with these guys, Sean, I just don't see it. Dylan Brooks is one of the worst offensive players in the uh, in the league. Well, he's just so overconfident, and I love Dylan Brooks from his Oregon days. But man, that guy that guy just thinks he's Steph Curry, and uh, <laughs> he goes over ten in big games. Uh, no, I, I think I think they could put together a really nice package. Um, not one that I think the Nets would be interested in because of the Nets specific situation. But I mean, Zaire Williams, Brandon Clark, another nice young player. Um, and then they drafted a couple of guys in the first round this year. David Roddy, uh, Jake LaRavia, La- 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 I believe, is the uh, yeah Wake Forest guard. So they do they do have Tyus Jones is is still yeah he's about mid twenties now at this point later twenties. Dylan Brooks. So they they do have quite a few guys if they're not trying to part with their big three. And then they obviously have those five first round picks. That's that's a heck of a trade package. But that's better for a young rebuilding team. The Nets because of all of the draft picks that they sided with and gave to Houston, they're not looking to rebuild. They're they're more interested in the Jalen Brown package, the Brandon mm-hmm. Ingram package, not the one that is headlined by Zaire Williams. So uh, I, I don't see this one working, although I, do, I think that would be a sweet landing spot for Kevin Durant. I think Durant, besides living in Memphis, would be extremely happy there, playing with John Morant, Jaron Jackson, Desmond Bain. Those guys seem to take their jobs pretty seriously and want to win. I think it's a great culture in Memphis, and I think that they, they're at a spot where they have a lot of flexibility. You know, if they wanted to go all in to get a superstar, they can do that, or if they want to keep building, because I'm not sure there's any team that's drafted better over the past couple of right. years. And, and that's exactly it. And Ultimately, taking a step back, looking at this whole thing, I just think GMs aren't super excited to give up the farm no matter how good he is. And look, I mean, I've said it. If, if you can get Kevin Durant, you do it. But that was before some of the proposed packages on Brooklyn side came out and they want to gut the other team's roster. I mean, for, for what, you know, a 34 year old guy who's a malcontent and uh, literally just tried to get his GM fired relatively public. Well, I guess he didn't make it publicly, but just tried to get his GM fired. You're not going to get another GM to necessarily jump on that. That's the problem with Kevin Durant is he's so good 
but there's been so many problems off the court with him now where it was before he was just a baller. He likes to play basketball, but now it's he wants to get the coach fired. He wants to get the GM fired. And like you said, he'll be 34 when the season starts. So if you're a team and you're a contender, you can't give up the farm for him. You want to build with him, but it's also tough because you know how much you give up for him. He has four years on his contract. What's to say after one year, he's like, I, I want out, right? He's done it before. So <laughs> yeah. if he, if Memphis trades Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain, they get Kevin Durant. He doesn't like it there for whatever reason. And who knows how Kevin Durant thinks. Then they have to want to trade Kevin Durant. Like, it doesn't make sense to give up all these players. But Memphis, like you said, again, they got other guys too. Steven Adams is a good contract filler. He makes seven. That's right. I forgot they have Adams. He has yeah. $17 million owed to him next season. So they have guys that they can throw out to try to get Kevin Durant Danny to Memphis. Green. Danny Green. Exactly. Like, they have some vets. They have some contracts to you know help with the Nets with the cap room if they want to. Young players. I mean, if you can hold on to it, you can. But Jaron Jackson's going to be 23 when the season starts. He averaged two and a half blocks a game. I would love. I mean, I would love Memphis to get Kevin Durant. I think it would be so interesting, especially in the deep Western Conference. Like, you would have to consider Memphis to be a top three seed again. I mean, yeah. I, I frankly, I do already. The, the only challenge is they might lose a couple games while, uh, while Jackson's out. Right. But then again... They might not. Uh, so I certainly expect them to be in the top, uh, you know, three, certainly four, regardless of whether they get at, KD or not. Out of all the squads that Durant's been rumored to, you know, Boston, uh, we can even throw Portland in there if you want to, Memphis. Like, what, Phoenix, what team would you be most interested in Kevin Durant going to? Mm-hmm. I think Memphis actually is number one. I think me. Memphis is number one. I mean. Besides Portland, obviously, I'd want him in Portland. Right, but, right. But if I'm talking. It's impossible now that Nurkic and Simons are signed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It'd have to be later on in the year for sure. After December. But, but I mean, Boston in theory would be interesting. Just how would they make it fit? But again, if you want Brown, you, you know, want, well, see, he I, would just take Brown's spot. So. Yeah. Like I want Tatum to be that guy. I want him to bloom into that super elite star. And so yeah. I don't want Durant to take touches from him. I want to see if Tatum can be that guy where I think in Memphis, Jaw's going to be a different position as as mm-hmm, Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. Like they will play off each other, so I think that actually works super well. Yeah, I, it would be fascinating. I'd be more interested in rather than a you know a suited contender like an already built contender like uh, Boston. I'd be more interested in watching Kevin Durant go to a team like New Orleans or Toronto or Memphis, a team that has some young players that just needs to get over the hump and watch him you know lead some young guys like play with Zion or play with Jaw. Or go up to go up north, and you know, I, probably Scotty Barnes would be in that deal. But you play with Siakam and Van Fleet. I would just like to see him try to win with a team where they'd be contenders with him, but it would be his show. Uh, the Boston thing would sour my my taste with uh, Kevin Durant even more. I, I think you know they were they were in the finals just last year. They beat him. They swept him. I think that would just that would hurt the narrative even more with Kevin Durant. What I want for Kevin Durant is Toronto. You know, New Orleans, Memphis, one of those teams that's just not quite there yet, but would be there with him. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. Ultimately, I think Kevin Durant stays in Brooklyn. No one's going to pay the price for him, but it's going to be fascinating to see. We're just less than two months from the start of the NBA season. All right, we'll go away, come back on the other side. Let's talk some NFL football. Giants fans holding their breath last night. Kayvon Thibodeau as he was writhing on the ground in pain. We'll give you an update on that injury. Peter Sampson in for Gonzano. It's the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Gonzano. Peter Sampson is up next with the pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game.
Welcome back in. Peter Sampson for Gonzano. It's the BFT. He's back tomorrow. Over the weekend, New York Giants played the Cincinnati Bengals. A little preseason football action. Most of the time, it's not notable. But uh, for Ducks fans and, of course, Giants fan, it was uh, fairly notable because this happened. There's an injured player on the field, and that is Kayvon Thibodeau. Grabbing his knee. And Giant Nation holding their collective breath. The rookie out of Oregon selected fifth overall down on the play. So first of all, I've never heard them referred to as Giant Nation, but okay. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau uh, took a, a low, he kind of a chop block in the knees, honestly. He took a low block there. It did not look good, I'm going to be honest. It looked like possibly the worst case scenario. He was in a lot of pain. He did uh, wave the cart away. The cart was out. He walked off on his own power. Uh as about as good news as you could ask for with this injury came out this morning, though. He has a sprained MCL. The uh, the ACL's intact. The patellar's intact. He's uh, He does have the sprained MCL. He's expected to miss three to four weeks. And, guys, I know a lot of us were really excited to see what Thibodeau's doing in the NFL. I'm glad that he's expected to maybe miss a month, you know, relatively. But hopefully this is one of those things that doesn't linger during the season. I want to see him go full bore. Yeah, this would be the second season in a row where mm-hmm. he gets hurt at the very beginning because you have to remember that Fresno State game in which he annihilated Jake Hayner <laughs> to start that game, forced a turnover, yep. nearly a touchdown, and then he got hurt later in that game, and it kind of derailed his entire season. So, man, I just I want to hear your guys' thoughts on this. Like, You have teams in the NFL like the Chargers who will never play Justin Herbert in a preseason game. Justin Herbert's never played a preseason game, and they're just like, yeah, we're not rolling out our stars. But then you have teams like the Ravens who – haven't lost a preseason game in years. It's a crazy stat with them. So everyone kind of treats the preseason differently. But, man, we've seen Zach Wilson go down. We've seen Kayvon Thibodeau go down. Like, that's New York's two biggest stars probably, the two most exciting players arguably uh, in the entire state of New York with those two teams. Uh, do you guys think the preseason is, is super important? Because they already play 17 regular season games. Football's a, a violent sport. It's not like the guys that are, you know, potentially – yeah, I, I just I wonder how preseason is for you guys. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think they – I know they shortened it down when they added the 17th game. I think it's important for these guys to get some reps. I don't think maybe it's critical for Tom Brady in season number 62 to get out there and get some reps. But, you know, I mean, Thibodeau, first time at this level, I certainly have no problem with him being out there. I think that most teams uh, approach it the right way. You know, their quarterbacks, they'll get out there, they'll do a series. Maybe they'll ramp up, they'll do a full quarter quarter and a half, but uh, ultimately it's a shame to see. I'm really looking forward to see Thibodeau back out on the field because we want to see him at this level. You know, you mentioned the Ravens. I actually have a Ravens take coming up next. Samson in for Gonzano. B-F-F-T From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, in for John Gonzano, here's Peter Sampson with the bald-faced truth. Hour number two of the bald-faced truth, Sampson in for Gonzano. He will be back tomorrow. Hope he's enjoyed his time away. You know he'll share his thoughts regarding the news that Oregon has had some initial conversations with the Big Ten. Michael Schill 
and uh, Rob Mullins not part of that. Uh, Kevin Warren not part of that. But we uh, reportedly, according to Brett McMurphy, know that those conversations have happened. So you're going to want to be here tomorrow at 3 o'clock. You know he'll break all that down for you. In the meantime, we were talking uh, NFL football here. And, uh, you know, how much should guys play in preseason? Does it matter? And, of course, that's because Kayvon Thibodeau got injured yesterday. Probably the best-case scenario considering how that hit to the knee looked. He's going to miss expected three to four weeks with a sprained MCL. Nothing torn. ACL's good. Patellar tendon's good. LCL's good. All that. But how much does it really matter? Now, (laughs) Sean, you mentioned the Ravens. I actually have a thought here. Anthony Brown has looked pretty damn good with the Ravens. And this week, he he was 10-13 with two touchdowns against the Cardinals. And, yeah, that's all with the reserves. I mean, of course I get that. You know, he's, he's a deep bench guy. He's just trying to make a roster. But he has looked legit. And the reason this stands out to me, we, we all saw Anthony Brown. I'm curious... Is he another victim of Mario Cristobal? We all know what we saw with Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert was, if we're strictly talking what he did at Oregon, we all know what he could become, or at least we knew to some degree what he was capable of. He was a above-average quarterback in the Pac-12. He was above-average, and we all wanted to see him unleashed, but it didn't happen. Now, Anthony Brown, I didn't necessarily have that assumption about Anthony Brown. You know, not a great arm. It was fine. He would make some throws every once in a while, or he'd he'd break off a nice run. He did lead a couple, you know, late-ish comebacks. I certainly had questions about his reads. He would... He'd have a receiver open, and instead he'd try to force a, force a run to the outside, and he'd pick up like two yards, but he missed a guy, you know, 17 yards down the field. But... I look at what he's doing, and again, it's just preseason, but this is still a higher level than he's played before, and he looks phenomenal. Was he also held back by the famous lack of quarterback development by Mario Cristobal? Am I crazy for thinking that? And again, I don't think that Anthony Brown was like, oh, it turns out he was an NFL starter. No, 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 no. But he's looked good, and he didn't look good before. Justin Herbert is like a top three quarterback. He was an above average Pac-12 quarterback. We all knew he was capable of more. Is this Mario Cristobal striking again? Is the sky blue? I mean, yeah, <laughs> Anthony Brown was, you know, he was. He made some plays last year that that left you uh, definitely impressed. But for the most part, it was it was a struggle for Anthony Brown last year. And yeah, I definitely think. I mean, you notice like last year in the um, the Alamo Bowl that. They started slinging it out last year, like in, in that game. The second half of that game, they were they were throwing deep balls, and you never mm-hmm. saw that with Anthony Brown. You never saw it with Justin Herbert, who has the best arm in the entire league. And Justin Herbert, when he was at Oregon, was a third-team All-Pac-12 quarterback during his senior season. And so, of course, Mario Cristobal did not do a good job with quarterbacks um, at Oregon. Tyler Shuck, you know, he's, he was just named Texas Tech starting quarterback, right. so he's still doing something right in uh, in college football. He didn't do anything at Oregon. So I, I think Mario Cristobal was just kind of a micromanager. I don't think quarterbacks are his are his wheelhouse like offensive linemen are. And, I, I you know, I'm not sure he hired great offensive coordinators. Marcus Arroyo, I definitely... Terrible. No, I mean, UNLV, I, they haven't had any success since he's been there. Joe Moorhead, 
Uh, you know, he's now the head coach of Akron. I'm not. I'm not sure. Maybe he was just wasn't given enough opportunity. I, I really think Mario Cristobal was just kind of a micromanager and uh, just had too much say in the quarterback room. And now that leads me to another thought is that Tyler Van Dyke is one of the most highly touted quarterbacks of this year's college football season. What's he going to look like at Miami? Are we going to see this trend continue? One thing that gives me some some doubt of you know these woes continuing for Mario Cristobal and quarterbacks is that they hired Josh Gaddis who was named the top assistant in college football last year with Michigan. He's now their offensive coordinator, and it was more of a run game with Michigan last year that gave them so much success, but I still think that Josh Gaddis is one of the best assistants in the entire sport. But, uh, you know, we'll see if Mario Cristobal learned from his experience at Oregon because, man, it was it was brutal at Oregon, the quarterback play. Yeah, so that was my next thought is if this is true, what does that say, A, about Ty Thompson, and then B, you have Tyler Van Dyke in Miami. You know, they're expected double-digit wins. He's expected to be a first-rounder, uh, first you know. But clearly, Cristobal's had one of the best quarterbacks in the country before. Steven, I, I got to ask you, what does this say, especially about Ty Thompson? You know, the word, oh, he's not ready. He's not ready. He hasn't gotten on the field yet. D- can we infer anything from this? I don't know if we can infer anything yet, but I will say, if you're a Duck fan, you got to think positively about this, right? Anthony Brown was struggled mightily as quarterback at the University of Oregon. Maybe it is because of Mario Cristobal. We don't know that. We saw Justin Herbert, same thing. Maybe Ty Thompson was just being held back as well, just as Sean was saying. And that could very well be because now he seems like he's thriving in a different system in the NFL. And Ty Thompson is one of the you know, one of the highest recruited players uh, to go to the University of Oregon. So to have him and have people say, well, he's not ready. Well, maybe he wasn't ready because he didn't fit what Mario Cristobal wanted to do. Maybe he fits better under a Dan Lanning-type scheme where he wants to open it up a little bit and let his quarterbacks make some plays. So I think it's a positive right now if you're a Duck fan just to hope that, you know, maybe he is the guy. Because I think there's I think there's some thoughts right now that he may not be the guy and he will end up transferring right. if Bo Nix gets the starting gig. But maybe with this... Maybe with a new coach staff and everything like this, he could be the guy. I'm really going to be watching uh, with one eye what's going on in Miami. I know, you know, Hurricanes fan is so stoked. They got their dude. We're going to bring the U back, this and that. And look, they've got a great team. They upgraded, you know, both the offensive and defensive line. They have a great quarterback. But again, I'm just saying we've seen this guy. We've seen this guy with a great quarterback. And, you know, we could talk about Tyler, you know, Shuck's performance as well. But don't forget, he was a big time recruit too he had his moments you know his his quarterback rating was decent I mean obviously I think a lot of fans were underwhelmed I don't think that necessarily says something about Shuck though I think that uh he might surprise some people uh down in Texas I'm really going to be watching what he does as well yeah again I I must uh I must say that this year if you're hoping if you're still sour about the Mario Cristobal thing and you're hoping that Tyler Van Dyke doesn't work out because it's just once again added evidence that Mario Cristobal can't use quarterbacks. I, I do think that Cristobal's learned from his mistakes at Oregon uh, because, again, it seemed like he micromanaged his his coordinators, and now he hires Josh Gaddis and then also Kevin Steele, who's a highly touted defensive coordinator. So they spent a ton of money on coordinators at Miami, so I do think that Miami will be better off and Tyler Van Dyke will be better off than Justin Herbert, Anthony Brown, and Tyler Shuck were. But back to your Ty Thompson point, like I've, I've said this on air before, I think Ty Thompson not being where he needs to be yet and not you know being the favorite to start for this team despite being uh, formerly the number one recruit out of the quarterback position Oregon's ever gotten 
to Mario Cristobal thing. You know, right. it, like his his baby years at Oregon were with Mario Cristobal, and it wasn't until a couple months ago that Kenny Dillingham and Dan Lanning and the rest of that staff came in, and now I feel like he's he, he's behind in his in his growth as a quarterback. So. I, I feel like, you know, you, you're going to wonder in a couple weeks, Bo Nix will start for that Georgia game, and you're going to have Ty Thompson thoughts. I think it has to be uh, swung back to Mario Cristobal. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of sort of sub-narratives uh, with these quarterbacks. By the way, speaking of quarterbacks, uh, at the Oregon-Georgia game, uh, Marcus uh, Mariota will be Oregon's honorary captain for that game. He's going to walk out onto the field with a cancer patient from Children's Health Care of Atlanta, which makes perfect sense. He's the Falcons quarterback. He has the Oregon ties. That's going to be great to see, too. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I know you know Marcus Mariota is held up as you know pretty much the GOAT at the University of Oregon, especially for the football program. But just basically all athletics, maybe him and Sabrina, are like the two top mm. athletes in the University of Oregon. So... Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. But I think the you know, I still have the question of we we down you know we criticized Mario Cristobal for his strategies of being you know very uh, not aggressive and wanting to play defense and win that way. Do we think Dan Lanning is going to be the opposite for sure? Because think about AB SEC coach, they don't want to you know you look at Georgia last year, they went with defense, they went with running the game, running the football. Cesar Bennett's not necessarily that guy's going to chuck it around. Do you think Dan Lanning comes in and for sure he's going to open up the offense or let it be, or is he going to pull the brakes back a little bit like Mario Cristobal did and say, you know what, I'm going to win with my defense, I'm going to win with this running game, I'm going to win with the offensive line, because that's what we did at Georgia. That's the real question, isn't it? And I wouldn't be surprised. Look, I don't expect him to just let a rip from game one. I mean, especially assuming like we all are that Bo Nix is going to start. Now, I know Bo Nix has been working with the quarterback's coach all summer. He did two things. He got married and he's been working on uh, sort of working on his uh, deep ball strength and precision, stuff like that. He wants to kind of redeem the perception of his college career. I get that. I expect him to maybe he's not going to be the elite guy that everyone thought he was as an incoming freshman in Auburn, but I expect him to do fairly well. But I, even if Lanning does that, I mean, compared to what Cristobal was doing, I mean, I got so tired of just seeing Herbert in that pistol and just run it up the middle. It was a joke. So I don't think it's going to be worse than that. It's not going to be the air raid, I don't expect, but I don't think it's going to be to that level. I, I think Landing's going to trust Kenny Dillingham, and I think right. Kenny Dillingham's going to be a much more aggressive offensive coordinator. I also think Bo Nix is, you know, even though Anthony Brown's having the success in the preseason, I think Bo Nix is more talented than Anthony Brown. I also think the running backs this year are less talented than your C.J. Verdell, Travis Dye pairing. I think the running backs are, you know, solid. I think that's a fine position group. It's not one of Oregon's strengths going into this year. There's a lot of unknown with that running back group so I think there's a lot more reason you look at the spring game you know back in uh, April and they were they were slinging the ball around so I think there's a lot more reason to believe that they're going to throw it deep will it happen against Georgia I don't know maybe they're a little bit tight uh, against Georgia maybe a little bit more conservative in the offense but I, I think after the Georgia game for sure I expect I expect the receivers to be heavily involved I mean man it was just like being a receiver on a Mario Cristobal Oregon team was a nightmare. I and mean, they finally, saw... again, for the last like 15 years, it's been they just got to get some receivers, and they finally did, and you're just running track, man. Yeah, no, it was, you know, Micah Pittman transferred mid-year yeah. last year. He was a talented recruit. Now he's at Florida State, um, and he wasn't the only one, man. I th- Those guys never really, never really did anything. I think Devin Williams, Devon Williams, he left 
maybe a year early because he was tired of, uh, you know, he had a bad year with Cristobal. So I, I, th- I expect things to be different. I expect the, the receivers to be a focal point of uh, of this year's team. Like, I'm really excited about this Oregon-Georgia game, but I, Gonzalo's even talked about this. I think the real test is that week three game against BYU. I think yeah. Oregon's going to win that game, but I think that's the game where you can really open it up and you can see what the real philosophy is because I think Georgia's going to kind of out outmatch them and out-athleticize them. But you have the athletes on BYU. They're a good team. But it's going to be interesting to see if they open it up against them. Yeah, I agree with that as well. It's going to be uh, Georgia is going to be a battle. You're going to be tight. They're so big. They're so athletic. I mean, it's going to be good to get college football back. I expect the Ducks to be in that game. I, I, I'm just being real. I'd be stunned if they win that. But uh, it's going to be entertaining. Week three, BYU. Who I forget who's second on the schedule. Eastern Washington. East. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that'll be fun too. I guess. Cooper Cup went there in the last. That's right. Game, my the boy. last time they played them, Cooper Cup had like 250 yards against Oregon. But uh, I don't think they have a Cooper Cup on the roster this year. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Most teams don't. Man, college football cannot get here fast enough. Speaking of, on the other side, there's a new company getting into the NIL space. I'll tell you who that is next. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming in with some Alice and Chains there. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. It's the bald-faced truth. That's relevant because if you're in Portland, you're going to want to listen to my show, The Pulse, all week long from 6 to 7. I'm giving away a pair of tickets in Portland here. I'm giving away a pair of tickets every edition of The Pulse to go see Alice in Chains along with, gosh, who else is playing? Breaking Benjamin and Bush. That's uh, Friday, September 2nd at the RVN Style Resorts Amphitheater. Make sure to listen here in Portland, 6 to 7 p.m. every single day this week for your chance to win. You know me. I love giving things away, so you're not going to want to miss that. So we've learned so much about the name, image, and likeness space in college athletics. Still kind of coming to terms with it. Most people are signing just real small deals, you know, get a little spending money, able to capitalize on their name, image, and likeness. I think it's what most of us envisioned. And then you have these other booster groups coming together. Dudes are making, you know, a million bucks. We don't, you know, to play 12 games and then are going to peace out to the NFL or what have you. So we're seeing these interesting packages come together. And now there's a company that is uh, signing offensive line groups rather than individual athletes. And that company is Hooters. Hooters announced today that it signed 51 offensive linemen to NIL deals from teams across the country. And so the chain said it wanted to sign offensive line groups rather than individual athletes, which I think is cool. And so they're working with players. They've signed guys from Auburn, LSU, Oklahoma, Miami, Georgia Tech, Missouri, Texas A&M, Vanderbilt, Florida Atlantic, and USF. Hooters chief marketing officer, Bruce Scala. (laughs) Imagine having to have that on your business card. I'm the CMO for Hooters. (laughs) You know what I mean? Is the O for officer. Like if you're the chief operating officer, the COO. Are the initials in the Hooters O's? 
But he said for decades, the physical play, blue-collar mentality, and on-field leadership of the offensive linemen has shined, but national praise and attention for these crucial players has all too often been sidelined. We want to change the narrative and celebrate these elite student athletes who play a pivotal role in making college football so thrilling and give them their fair share of the spotlight. Now, it's easy to clown this, but I kind of love the idea of hitting position groups like that, and especially everyone knows the offensive linemen never get any love. So I dig it, and honestly, if you're one of these linemen, you got to imagine, like, if I'm an offensive lineman and I'm, you know, I'm at Georgia Tech or Florida Atlantic, I'm getting in on, the, on this deal. Fellas, I'm making sure Unlimited Wings is part of the deal. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's such a good deal for the offensive lineman, like you said, because they're not getting the big deals, right? It's all about the quarterbacks, the skill positions. Uh, there was a guy named DeColtis uh, Crawford at Nebraska who got an air-conditioned deal, but he's a receiver. Right? You don't see the offensive lineman. So I think it is actually cool that uh, Hooters is reaching out, letting the offensive lineman get some money, get some wings. I mean, yeah, I mean, you gotta you got to negotiate. They have a lot of leverage right now. So, yeah, get get all the, all the time wings you can. I mean, not a bad deal. I've never been to a Hooters. Is I mean, I've heard about the wings. I've heard that that's the deal, at least when it comes to food. Um, is it tasty? Is it good? Anyone been to a Hooters? I've been to it one time. It wasn't the best best wings I've ever had, that's for sure. But uh, I mean, the waitresses were fine, and uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the food the food wasn't the best. But I don't think they're really known for their food, right? Like it's it, exactly more the surrounding it, uh, lookabout. Yeah, it, it's an interesting kind of a niche, isn't it? Where it's like, okay, so our uh, our, our servers are going to be uh, dressed a certain way. I, you can't really call it pr- provocatively, but I, for lack of a better term, provocatively, yeah. relatively provocatively. And you, they're known for their wings and some of the other food. Of course, you know, they'll have a bunch of beers on tap. But none of it is sort of the best, right? Like, if you want to look at scantily clad women, there's other places you can go. If you want the best wings, there's other places you can go. If you want all the best beers, there's probably yeah. other places you can go. So it's interesting that they're just kind of roping all those in, but there's not one where they truly shine. Yeah, I mean, I think but the, I think there is a market for that, right? Like, I mean, there seems to be, yeah. Yeah, like some people I think probably don't want to go to the strip clubs. Like they, you know, maybe they're married or something like that. Their wife won't let them, but they can, you know, <laughs> me and the boys are going to go to Hooters and watch the football game. Like I think it's a little different maybe. I mean, that would be my guess. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of mediocre in all all facets, but, you know, there's obviously a market for it. And, uh, you know, congratulations to these offensive linemen. Hopefully, you know, hopefully you, they get some good deals out of it. You mentioned the strip club. So the last time the last time I went to a strip club, this is so long ago, and uh, I'm not a strip club guy. I've been less than five times in my life. I don't knock you if that's what you want to do, man, as long as you behave yourself. like. But, you know, I've only done it a handful of times. And I go to uh, I go to the, the, the Acrop. If you're not in Portland, the Acropolis, it's a legendary. It's been there forever. Weirdly, they have phenomenal steak, and it's so cheap. It's so cheap. And, you well, know, you know why that is, right? Yeah, they have yeah, their own farm. Yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. And uh, but I would I go to Acrop. I had a big day at work, and I go uh, with my lady at the time. She's like, "Yeah, that's fine. You know, I'll go too. We'll celebrate." You know, she wasn't going to keep tabs on me. That's not how I get, do. That's not how I get down. I was like, yeah, and we did it sort of ironically. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this is so funny. We're going to go to the strip club. 
But we have a, a big steak dinner, and I got all my ones. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, we better go up to the front so, you know, we can, we can uh, you know, give the girls money. And we do that, and we're just having a good time, and we're about ready to get out of there. And the thing is, if you've ever been in the uh, gentleman's club, you know that music is bumping. You know, it's, it always has that DJ, let's hear it for Amber. Put your hands together. And you know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. So that's going on. And I'm already... I'm already pretty hard of hearing. I, I have tinnitus a little bit, years of not wearing my earplugs when I was playing concerts or going to concerts. And even here at work, I have to wear headphones with my own voice pumped into them loudly. So it's loud. It's kind of hard to hear. And the thing is, is we were just hanging in the back, having a nice dinner. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, we're about done here. I got all these ones. So do you. Let's, we got to go get rid of them. And so without thinking about it, like, we tipped this girl, like, a lot of money, you know, relatively speaking, for, you know, two people that were certainly not wealthy at the time. We threw them a bunch of money. And she clearly noticed. And so afterwards, she does her dance, and we clap and give her money, and we're getting ready to go. And the girl gets off stage, and she kind of comes over, and I know, I know they're working, and uh, we're getting ready to go, and I can't hear anything because it's like, yeah, we're yeah. And so in the all the music is going, and she's like, and I can't hear her, and she smiles. And you know what you do when you can't hear someone? There's one of two things you do if you don't want to be rude and go, what? You either go, that's crazy, or you go, yeah, I didn't say that's crazy. I went, yeah. And then she, uh, she smiles and walks off, and then uh, my uh, accompaniment at the time goes, dude, what are you doing? And I was like, what? Yeah, I, did, I couldn't hear her. So anyway, let's get out of here. And she goes, no, she just asked if we wanted a couple's dance. And you went, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't want a couple's dance. We got to go. So Amber or Taylor or Rain or whatever your name was, I'm sorry I ghosted you at the strip club a decade ago. So the moral of this story is, well, always tip your dancer and be a gentleman at the gentleman's club. But mostly, if you don't hear someone... Just say, what? Yeah, I think that's that's good advice for uh, everybody. Because we've all been in that spot where we can't hear you. Like, yeah, of course. Okay, oh, that's yeah. crazy, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So that, uh, how, how'd you get out of that? Did you be like, uh, sorry, you didn't mean to do that? Or, uh, can no, because she, she had walked away to get ready, I think, before, uh, like, presumably we'd, you know, go into one of the little rooms. Yeah. I've never been in a... Uh, champagne room i think there so uh yeah we just ghosted like i had eaten my steak i'd had two or three uh wonderful micro micro brews and i was just like oh i didn't mean to do that let's go before let's she gets out. back because i'd spent my cash man and like legit i was not high rolling like you know your, your face is probably plastic like don't let this guy back in <laughs> yeah, exactly i'm like he, wearing sweatpants yeah, he's or, he's ordering he's ordering dances and not fulfilling them she thought she thought we were high roll cuz it's a man and a woman you know and we're younger and again we had been in the back cuz you don't go up front if you're not going to be throw, not going to be making it rain so we're in the back we're eating drinking having a conversation catching up and then i was like Oh, I got these like 51s that I made sure to bring to the strip club. I've been here two hours. I haven't really thrown them. I've tipped my server and that's it. So we went up there and each of us, like we were just firing off dollar bills like crazy. So she was thinking that she had, you know, landed a fish. Yeah. Yeah. And then, 
Yeah, sorry. That was all I got. I didn't want to, you know, give her a false impression. I felt bad because I don't know what she needs to do to get ready, but it might involve something. I'm not sure. No, I can. So, you know, going back to your point, I was at the Hooters. This definitely did not happen at Hooters where uh, there was mistakes made on what we uh, what we wanted, what we ordered. So maybe that is the the thing. Like you can get what you want at Hooters. You know, you get your girls, you get your food. But, you know, it's going to it's going to have that line. It's going to have the dead end at that point. That's as far as you right. can go. Yeah, so maybe, I, maybe that's the, that's the market. Having having the girls at the place of business, that's never struck me as really necessary. I used to go get my hair cut at this uh, this chain in Portland, and it appealed to men. It was called Hair M, and the M stands for man, but also get it harem. And the thing is, you'd have all these girls, and they would give you a beer. You could get a cigar there. They had at each station where you sit down and get your hair cut, there's a personal TV there, so you can pick what you want to watch, so you don't have to make small talk. It was really dope. It was really dope. And then at some point, the ownership decided to uh, cut all the stylists loose and uh, replace them with these... um, Cute young girls fresh out of uh, what beauty school you call it, whatever, whatever hairstyling school and pay them a lower percentage. And it's like, okay, cool. They're all really pretty. They do a bad job at cutting hair. That's why I come here. You have to understand what you're actually doing when it comes to your marketing. I mean, maybe I'm just a simple man, but I'm with you. Ultimately, whatever the job is, I'm going to get, whether it's a coffee, you know, if it's a bikini barista. Or it's a regular barista. I just want a good coffee. If it's a, you know, right. like you said, if, if it's a good haircut, I want a good haircut. I don't want the girls to look good and have a bad haircut. That's a bad experience. Maybe that's just me. But uh, yeah, I, I want the product to be good. I don't care what you look like. You can look like uh, you can look like me and give me a good haircut, and I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, but not everyone's like you. And so, like you know, like there's a bunch of coffee places out there. There's a bunch of wings places. There's a bunch of haircut places. How do play? How do these people? separate themselves uh, Hooters doesn't make good wings you know I don't I don't even think they're as good as you know Buffalo Wild Wings or um, you know some of the other the main wing like, stop, mainstream wing stop. yeah I, I doubt they're as good as that how does how does Hooters separate itself and we were talking about it last week on the show salt and straw and which by the way is now open in Beaverton uh, mm. open I checked that out this week. go get that blue cheese pair man I'm yeah, telling you yeah yeah um, in and out you know there's certain places that while they might be a little bit overrated in what they do, like they just have that marketing to them. And like when I think of Hooters, I think of the Office episode, classic episode. If you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about, Michael Scott and Jim uh, roll up in there. Right. Uh, you know, so I like I, I think of things other than wings, and I think that's what uh, keeps them in business. I don't think there's a ton in the Northwest. I think it's more of a Southern thing. And this NIL deal, it's uh, it's most in uh, mostly in the East Coast. School, it is, yeah. You know? It's uh, Auburn, LSU, Oklahoma, Miami, Georgia Tech, Missouri, Texas A&M, Vanderbilt, FAU, and USF. I don't even I don't know. See if, a lot of I don't even here. know if we have one here still. We used to have the sign right by the Interstate Bridge. You would always see it right on the right, kind of by uh, like Marine Drive there. I don't even know if that's still up. Yeah, and uh, I don't think that it is. Like going into Washington, yeah, I five, yeah, because it used to be uh, Waddles back in the day, <laughs> yeah. and then it changed into Hooters. And I, I, don't, I just drove by the other day. I don't remember seeing the Hooters sign, so I think it is gone. There's no. none in Oregon. There's none in Oregon. And there was one in Gresham, uh, just right by um, the mall over there. Why do you think that mall is? Why do you think that is? Because we have good food. Again, you you have to differentiate yourself. But the bot, the the ultimate, you know, test for a business is the product. 
And I, I just don't know that it can necessarily survive. Portland itself is a foodie city. I can't speak for, you know, Eugene. I imagine that there's great food, you yeah. know, in the rest of Oregon as well. But I just don't think that business model survives. I mean, you think about dudes. I know there are dudes like that, but, you know, Northwest dudes are a little bit different. Well, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, you think about their business model. Again, it's not about the food. It's about the experience. They have other things that attract people into that restaurant. And the people that go for that might not be in Oregon. Like, it might not be the culture here versus maybe people in the south where they seem to be really thriving. That might, you know, Hooters might be more popular there because they're, they're more into that scene, less about the food. Yeah, I was just in Vegas, you know, a couple months ago. And at some places they have, like, girls dancing right behind, like, the blackjack tables. And that's definitely not my spot. Like, I, I don't want to be distracted by them. I want to be uh, concentrated on You're my cards. You're locked in. I'm locked in. I'm trying to count cards. Uh, trying to make some money, so uh, yeah, I think I think I think Peter's right. Like especially in Oregon, we're more of like uh, you know I don't want to say snobby when it comes to food or beer or drinks, but we kind of are. Like we're yeah. we're good at it. We're really good at it, and so I think we have a higher expectation to where our restaurants provide us. That being said, if I was a college freshman playing football, I would sign up for this sponsorship like yesterday. I'd take anything, man. I would do it so fast, it would be crazy. <laughs> All right, we'll go away, come back on the other side. A little more NFL. Tom Brady is back at camp. Where was he? Why was he gone? We'll kick it around next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the ball face truth with John Canzano. On 750 The Game. The NFL preseason rolls on, and Tom Brady is back from his mysterious 11-day absence from Buccaneers training camp. Peter Sampson in for JC. It's the bald-faced truth. Of course, this has kind of been a question for a while. You had, uh, you know, reports that he was going to be out. It was pre-approved. Well, I don't know when he's going to be back. Okay, I know exactly when he's going to be back. On and on it goes. Todd Bowles kind of under the spotlight there. So what were the personal reasons that kept Brady out of camp for nearly two weeks? Now, according to Pro Football Network, Brady was vacationing with his family in the Bahamas. Don't know if that's all he was doing, but he was reportedly in the Bahamas with his family. And I get that Tom Brady, at his age, his level of experience, his proven track record, he doesn't need preseason like other guys do. I get that. But, man, if that's true and if that's all it was, I mean, to me, it sort of sets a bad example. I don't know how understanding your teammates are. I know some of them would be. Whatever, you're Tom Brady. You earned it. I know you're all going to be good. But, man, don't you need to, as a leader, have to be there with your team, even if you're not taking active snaps in those games, even if you're not, you know, or you're only playing one series or not at all, don't you still need to be there to set the example? Of course, rumors also flying about Brady's absence from guessing he was retiring. Of course, there's the theory he was competing on the masked Singer, which would make some sense. By the way, I do not follow the masked singer in any way, shape, or form. We talked about that that last week. I don't need to rehash that it's trash. But uh, apparently, they're teasing the upcoming uh, season uh, season as this is goating ridiculous or something like that. Goat, get it? Greatest of all time, Tom Brady. Don't know if that's true. So on one hand, 
if that's when the, the taping had to be done, I guess I get it, even though still you can't do this in the summertime, really. I, I Other NFL guys have participated in this show and other shows like Dancing with the Stars or other ridiculous competition shows. I understand that, but you do it during your downtime. You're paid to be there. You're paid to prepare. What do you guys make of this? Brady is back at the Bucks facility. He reported back today. I think it's tough because what's the line drawn, right, Peter? Like you mentioned it. Tom Brady is the GOAT. He's the best quarterback of all time. But what's the line? If Damian Lillard left Portland, is it okay, and he went on a vacation? He's a really good player. He's a top 75 player of all time, maybe the best blazer of all time. Is it okay for him to leave a training camp? Is it okay for, you know, let's just say Trevor Lawrence, who was a top high school recruit, number one overall pick for the Jays? Is it okay for him? Like, it's a fine line. Like, Tom Brady, I understand it's okay, and he doesn't want to be part of training camp, which I understand. At 45 years old, he's been through it all. He's awesome. He'll be fine. But I do agree with you. I think you need to be there with your team somewhat. I just think it, to go on a vacation with your family, I think that's the messed up part, right? Like if he had something else going on, I think it's different. But just to go on a family vacation, I do think that it's kind of a bad look for Tom Brady that he should have been there. I disagree. No, I, I think Tom Brady's an absolute legend, and his teammates know that. And, you know, what are his teammates thinking? Like, does it set a bad a bad impression? No. Like, I think his teammates glorify him and, you know, look at him like the legend that he is. And, you know, he he um, has all these Super Bowl rings, and he's done it year after year. And even when he hasn't won the Super Bowl, like last year, he's still in the mix at the very end of the year. And so I think that when he decided he's unretiring and then he's going to give us another go at 45 years old, it was like, I, this all sounds great. Just no training camp anymore. Like training camp's the part that I don't need. We we watch hard knocks. Do we like, know that? What is it, he said? No training camp. No, that's just it, that's always been my opinion. I I just think uh, I think he uh, that I I speculate that that Tom Brady just t- told Todd Boyles like I will come back, but I don't want any part of training camp because look, I mean, if you've watched hard knocks, you understand how how much of a grind training camp is, and so I'm sure Tom Brady just. You know, he just wants to play games. And I, I think that this only works for guys like Tom Brady. Soon enough, I think it'll work for someone like LeBron James because, again, they, they are proven greatness every single year. And I just, I don't, th- I think his, his teammates look up to him and respect him so much that it doesn't even matter and that he's so responsible and has done this for so long that it, it, he's going to be able to get it done no matter what. Yeah. Not, not playing and not being there to me are two very different things, though. I understand that Tom. Brady doesn't need to take a snap in the preseason. But, I mean, being there, showing that you're all in, it's all about we're all on the same page, we're all in. I mean, uh, those things really do matter to everyone. I mean, preseason, look look at Aaron Rodgers talking to his receivers right now. That uh, To me, that stuff matters. It's just tough because at what point are we going to draw the line and say it's not okay? Like, Patrick Mahomes is awesome. At what age is he able to say, I don't want to go to training camp, I, I'm just going to leave right now? I'm with Peter, like, if you don't want to do training camp, you don't want to practice, you don't want to play in the games, that's fine. But be around the team. Don't leave to go on a family vacation and leave the country and then come back and just you know be there. I I, I, I have a little bit of a problem with it. I know Tom Brady's going to be fine. The Bucks are going to be great. And I understand what Sean's talking about. I just feel like it's just a fine line that we've already kind of, you know, we 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 kind of, you know, we baby the athletes a little bit, and now right. we're even babying, you know, more athletes. And if Tom Brady does this, who's the next guy? Who's the next guy? It's just going to go down the line of, well, I don't want to practice. I don't want to play. You know, I'm only going to play in the playoff games. I'm only going to play the final half of the season. 
I think there's this, it, it's, it, it's kind of one of those things where it's just downhill from here. Which is what makes me speculate that this Dancing with the Stars thing, or excuse me, the Masked Singer thing is true. To me, still not a great look, but at least you can sort of go, oh, okay, you signed this massive deal with Fox. Part of that is you're going to appear on our TV show. You get it approved by the team, and that's okay. I don't necessarily love that, but to me, it makes sense. But if you're just saying, I'm going to not vacation all off-season, and I'm going to wait till camp starts, and then I'm going to dip out, to me, in theory, and we don't know that that's true, uh, really rubs me the wrong way, which is why I'm guessing come this fall, we are going to see Tom Brady on The Masked Singer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, look, I let me ask you guys this question. If, like, an amazing radio host or accountant or lawyer, someone who's been doing it for so long and is so great at it and so comfortable with the job, wants that extra week off or wants to avoid, like, maybe the annoying, difficult, um, you know, tedious part of the job, do you think the employer's going to be like, no, like, you, you got to be all in? Or do you think they're going to be like, no, we really want you. You know, you're amazing at what you do. Do what you need to do. It depends. It depends. Uh, there's an off-season in this business, so we'll say an awesome radio host. Uh, there are certain weeks where you can't take vacation because it really matters to the industry. Uh, we're you know we're not really supposed to talk about ratings. I'm not going to get into the back end of that. There are certain weeks you can't do it. You're working. Yeah, and I don't know, and we don't know this, what the Bucks said, but I can imagine, and I would think that the Bucks, when Tom Brady comes to them with this idea and says, I'm just going to take a vacation in the middle of training camp, they're like, well, we would love to have you here. Like, yeah, I understand. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, Tom Brady's going to play hardball. Say, like, no, I'm leaving. And then, of course, it's Tom Brady. You're going to let him go. But you're going to fight back a little bit on it. Yeah, do you think the Bucks would have rather him, you know, be the quarterback this season with no training camp or just fully retire? You know, I feel like he has leverage. The yes. fact that he retired and he was like, all right, I'll come back and play for you. Like, I'm, I'm good right now. I'll come back and play for you, but it's got to be under my terms. I feel like he, he built all of that leverage because the Bucks really wanted him back. And, you know, he had to say, like, all right, but I want this, this, and this. Now that I'm retired, I can say that. I mean, but we don't know that he said that. I know. I'm just, again, yeah. I'm just kind of, this is what I imagine went down. This is why. I mean, I, he, yeah, he would certainly have the leverage to be able to do that. I mean, I mean, he absolutely would. I just, I think it's a bad look. And especially at the quarterback position, you're the leader of the team. You had this time off. That's what it's for. It's all about the grind. It's the preparation. And yeah, he doesn't need it. I understand that, but you still are there to set the example. You're still there to lead. You're still there to talk to your guys. You're still there to get on the same page with the wide receivers. You're still there to work with the the offensive coordinator. You're still there to you know prep, uh, film prep, looking at last season, looking at changes. All that does matter, even if you don't take a snap. Yeah, to me, shouldn't there be conditions with a 45-year-old quarterback? Like, we've never seen someone like Tom Brady before. So, well, there, there even be. though this isn't normal, this isn't normal behavior, neither is being a 45-year-old quarterback. But there should be, but he should still be there, right? If he, he doesn't want If he doesn't want to practice, he can stand on the sidelines with a clipboard, talking to the coaches, talking to the other quarterbacks, talking to receivers. He can do that. He can watch film. He left. He supposedly left the country for 11 days and just went on vacation, like, that is not being all in on the team. And even as a Tom, if that's Tom Brady, I'm going to think less of that because, well, you're not all in. I am all in. I'm here at training camp. I'm practicing. I'm an all-pro wide receiver. Why can't I do this? So I just think he should have been there, right? He could have had days off of practice. He could have sat out 11 days of practice. But just be there with your teammates. Show that you all are, are, are all in. Which is why I speculate that it wasn't just a vacation. There's also some yeah. Fox stuff going on as well. Where do you land? 503-417-7575. Is it no big deal? He's the greatest quarterback of all time. He's 45 years old. Does he really need to be there? Or is he setting a bad example? You can also tweet me at Peter Sampson, S-A-M-P-S-O-N. 
and we will continue to kick this around. But on the other side, man, I'm really excited about this. Uh, I don't know if you guys get down with golf games at all, but uh, a new one's coming out shortly, and I am hyped about it. I'll tell you about that next. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. It's the Bald Face Truth. JC will be back tomorrow. It's a glorious day today. Finally, after like a year and a half, I've secured a PlayStation 5. It's about time. I got, I registered for an invite. You can do that if you don't want to mess with bots or you don't want to pay a thousand bucks to a scalper. You can just register with PlayStation themselves. And I got where they give you a window. Just, oh, log in during these three hours and you have a chance to buy. And I did that months and months ago. And like a month ago, they gave me my window. And I was very excited. And it my window uh, it kicked in at the very end of my day here. I go home. And then I log in and then they were all sold out, which drove me crazy. If I'm in the window, you should have enough for however many invites you send out. They did not do that anyway. I've uh, still, actually, technically still, I'm, I've registered my interest for another w- window, but I just happened to pop on the site today on my phone. I'd be like, man, wonder if they have any. I just happened to open it up and look, and all of a sudden it just dialed me into an hour-long queue. And I said, oh, man, they have a window right now. So I just kept my browser open for an hour and was able to grab it. So finally... Finally, means I can play NCAA football when it comes out next year. Not only that, man, 2K Sports getting back into it. PGA Tour 2K23 coming out in October. I don't know about you guys. I love a good golf game. Tiger Woods going to be on the cover of this year's edition. It's going to feature, you know, guys, Justin Thomas, Lexi Thompson, more than 20 real-life courses. You can play as other even non-golf grades. You can play as MJ. Uh, which is interesting. So they're beating EA to the punch here because I have uh, like the EA uh, Sports PGA Tour. I have the most recent one. But uh, the newest version of PGA Tour has been delayed into 2023. It was announced all the way back last year. Now it's being pushed back. So 2K Sports has gotten in. They've locked up Tiger Woods, a bunch of the other golfers, and they're in. I don't know about you guys. I love a good golf game. Yeah, the golf games are great. Uh, I I think you're right. Getting guys like Tiger Woods and locked up like that. Golf is such a crazy sport because it's so individual. You got to get those individuals that really make a difference. And Tiger is one of them. And you, you we talk about just the Live Golf Tour, how they tried to get Tiger. They offer all that money. So yeah, if you're a video game, you want to get guys like that. I mean, I remember used to playing uh, Tiger Woods golf back in the day with my buddies. So great, so good. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love a good golf game. I remember back in the day that for the regular Nintendo, we had. Uh, NES Open with Mar- the Mario character. You can like, still play that on the Switch, yeah, too. I, I have. I have within like, <laughs> the last few months. Like I remember those games. So, like, yeah, I'm with you. Golf games are always fun, and uh, it's it's definitely more relaxing than, you know, a fighter game or any other sports game. Like, it's truly just like the sport of golf. Like, it can be relaxing, and you don't have to, not too much pressure. So, uh, yeah, I'll be definitely interested in that. And it's good you got the PS5 in time for the new uh, college football video game when it comes out next year. Cause, Man. Uh, that seems like it's going to be a thing, and that'll be awesome. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I've been I've been hunting for that thing for a while. Sean, do you get down with some golf games? We golf. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Wii Golf. But uh, no, I haven't really, uh, I actually haven't really tried a, uh, a golf game that used with a, uh, a controller without actually swinging with a, a Wii controller. But uh, it sounds sounds like a lot of fun. The PS5, man, like I feel like eventually I'm just like it's going to be PS4s are just going to pretty much go rogue and, you know, Xbox Ones and you're going to have to go you're going to have to go PS5 or Xbox Series 20. Is that what it's called? Um, yeah. I, and, you know, I've actually I spent the entire weekend debating on buying Madden 23. It just came out on Friday. Yeah. I've seen some mixed reviews. I've seen some, as always, I feel like with any Madden game, you're going to get some clips of just, I'm watching one now, just some something ridiculous happening, like some some glitch. Um, and I've seen a lot of those videos um, with Madden 23. Today, McCole Hardman, the Kansas City Chiefs receiver, tweeted out, this new Madden is one of the worst ever. Oh, you know, no. so maybe he just wasn't happy with his character or whatever. But uh, no, yeah, maybe he lost. Maybe he he wasn't happy with his rating. Or uh, so yeah, I'm I'm currently debating whether to whether to grab that one for the PS4. Yeah, if nothing else, I mean, the good news is it comes out mid August. You can always wait and grab it. Uh, in a week or two, and I know that doesn't sound like a major difference, but a lot of the major glitches, they'll pump out a patch real quick that you can download, and then it'll make it a little more playable. Another rated series that I've been playing, I got for free, uh, the PS Plus is Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Oh, uh, I bought that on, on release, yeah. the remake of yeah, the classic Tony Hawk. It's, it's one and two. Yes, yeah, It's a remake, yeah. We got it for free because we have the PS Plus. Yeah. Like, it is awesome. I've been playing that play with my kids now. They're into it, so... That was always an underrated series for video games. The best thing about Tony Hawk, man, it was the soundtrack. And yeah. and they kept yeah. a ton of the original songs. Goldfinger playing Superman took me right back to like 1999, 2000, sitting in my room just trying to, uh, you know, get through the warehouse level over and over. I'm glad you guys picked that up. That one's a fun. Yeah. And uh, uh, me and my kiddo have been playing that a lot as well. Yeah, if you're our age, if you remember uh, maybe being in the dorm room playing Tony Hawk, yeah, it's back. It's remastered. It's not a. It's not a an extension. It's the exact same game, just remastered for modern consoles. All right, our number two in the books. ESPN released their bowl predictions. Uh, let's run through those. College football right around the corner. Leave it here. B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the bald faced truth. Final hour of the show. I'm Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the bald faced truth on the BFT Radio Network. JC, gonna be back in the chair tomorrow, refreshed and ready to go, I'm sure. College football, week zero. Just like. Five days away. Five days. And I'm ready for it. And, of course, this time of year, everyone else is ready as well, including ESPN. And uh, I saw that they released their bowl predictions. These are always kind of fun to run through when you get some variance, some disagreement among the experts. And I think what really says something about college football is there was no disagreement whatsoever in the uh, college football playoffs. It was universal. You're going to have Bama versus Ohio State, and that's because Bama will beat Clemson and Ohio State will beat Georgia. I don't think any of us will disagree with that. Not that we would be shocked if, say, Georgia somehow won or if Clemson somehow won, but I think that seems to be the pretty universal prediction. So let's run through uh, some of these bowls. Anything that involves a, a Pac-12 team here, I went to. Now, ESPN in the Rose Bowl, there was no variance here. They're predicting a Michigan-Utah 
Rose Bowl. So they're kind of going with the uh, the favorites there. Of course, Ohio State would not play in the Rose Bowl by nature of going to the college football playoffs. Fellas, I think that's a pretty safe bet. Not a guarantee. I think it's a safe prediction, though. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State seems to be either the number one or, at worst, number two team in the country. A lot of people would say they're better than Alabama. They return, I believe, 14 starters from a season yeah. ago, and that's very rare uh, for a team like Ohio State to return that many starters because you think about all the guys that go to the draft, but they're returning these guys at a lot of the key positions, including C.J. Stroud at quarterback, who is the Heisman frontrunner right now. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say, like, even if Ohio State stumbles and loses a game, they're probably still going to make the college football playoff. Yeah, and I mean, you know, they do lose the the two receivers, but I mean, you look at who they brought in, right even in positions where they... Uh, what are we pre- all right, so even when they, uh, you know, they do lose some key position groups there, and then it's like they just restock, man. Ohio State keeps coming back. So, yeah, it's going to yeah. be very, very interesting. Moving on, so Michigan, Utah in the Rose Bowl. Now, Michigan, Harbaugh has uh, not had the best state. I think they're going to be back and loaded for bear. Utah, I mean, the unanimous favorite out of the Pac-12. It wouldn't stun me if an Oregon or, I mean, I guess even a USC, even though I really need to see it there, uh, managed to get into the Rose Bowl. But I think Utah is going to be the favorite. Oregon State selected to... Return to the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl. The prediction there is they'll take on Boise State. That would be an interesting matchup. That'd be a rematch of uh, week one. Exactly, exactly. So it would be two teams that would know each other, Oregon State. Now, the L.A. Bowl, it was just great to see Oregon State back in a bowl game. Obviously, the game didn't go how they wanted. And it was interesting, I mean, playing it there at a, that was at SoFi, wasn't yeah, it? it was, yeah, yeah. A big stadium. Uh, it was a big stadium, and it was a medium crowd, which meant a lot of empty seats. I mean, to be fair, we're still coming out of the pandemic. It was it was the first time they'd done that bowl, but uh, Oregon State predicted to get back uh, to the LA Bowl. Yeah, I mean, if you're Oregon State, and I'm not an Oregon State fan, so maybe I'm wrong here, but I think LA the LA Bowl is a great bowl to go to. Maybe not back to back. What do you think about that, Peter? Like, if you're an Oregon State fan. You just went to the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl. Are you? Would you be happy to go back to the same bowl next year, or do you want to change it up and you know spread your horizon, yeah. spread your wings a little bit? Yeah, it's interesting because Oregon State, that long gap without a bowl game, you're probably yeah. happy to just make two in a row. But at the same time, you want to see that progress. Yeah. And making another LA Bowl means you're probably looking at another six, maybe seven win season where you're hoping to maybe advance and see something else. Hey, but I mean, according you know Jonathan Smith, and there's been a lot of reports out that. Oregon State feels like they have a really good team this year. Uh, sick, yeah. They're sixth right now in the odds to win the Pac-12. Maybe they do become that number three or that four seed. Maybe they get to the Pac-12 title game. Who knows? Uh, but that's a, that's a team that has a lot of variation, I think, and the coaching staff and the players all feel really high about the Oregon State team. So I think if you're Oregon State, yeah, it would be great to go to the L.A. Bowl again. But like you said, shoot for something bigger, right? Like try to get better, try to get bigger and better. I think it's, I think you're right on with that. Yeah. So I mean, look, that offensive line is great. They seem to keep pumping out running backs. To me, it's if Chance Nolan can take that next yeah. step. No, definitely. I think it's all about Chance Nolan. It's also about the defensive line, right? I think defensively they were pretty solid last season, but it's all about can they stop the run? Because offensively, like you said, I think there's a really high floor with the ceiling. Jonathan Smith is coach. I think they're always going to have a really solid offense, no matter who is playing quarterback, who's playing running back. But I think defensively, you got to stay, you got to stay tough on the defensive line because the offensive line is going to push people around. Running backs are going to run. Chance Nolan doesn't have to do much, and they still won what seven, eight games last season. Right. So 
I think the offense has a high ceiling, but that defense is going to get them that high level. That's That's been the question the last few years. UCLA predicted to go to the Vegas Bowl. We're excited about the Vegas Bowl, baby, uh, versus either Ole Miss or Tennessee. UCLA, big expectations. Uh, DTR, a senior, Zach Charbonnet back for another year. I mean, Chip Kelly has got this team winning more and more games every year. Uh, ESPN has them in the Vegas Bowl. Do you think UCLA is a little bit of a dark horse? I do. Because, you know, you look at their team last year, eight and four season ago, that was thought to be the best team Chip Kelly had, but they returned, like you said, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who is, I believe, in his sixth year, maybe. Yes. And it's like, you know, to get a sixth-year senior like that and have a lot of returners, again, uh, offensively, they return quite a bit. Are they a dark horse to kind of compete for that Pac-12 title? To me, it's it's if Zach Charbonnet can stay healthy. They don't have a ton of depth behind him, but he ran all over the Pac-12 last year. He was just a monster, and I think if you've got a full year of him, they're going to be able to make some noise. But again, there's no guarantee. All it takes is you roll an ankle, you know, you take a take a low block into the knee, and you miss three games, and I don't know what they have behind him. I mean, realistically, you look at the schedule for UCLA, if they have a good year and they yeah. exceed expectations, they could be 10-2 because they have a really easy non-conference. Very reasonable. Uh, and then their road games are at Colorado, which is should be a win, at Oregon, which is tough, at Arizona State, which is winnable, and at Cal. So the road games are pretty winnable, so you get most of the good teams at home, Utah, USC, both at home, Stanford at home. If UCLA is as good as they think they could be, that could be a 10-win team that kind of comes out of nowhere. I have I have big expectations for the Bruins this year. And, uh, you know, they have more continuity than USC. I'm not sure they have more talent. I You know, I, I don't think they have more talent. But the continuity is there. And, man, it's it's taken a while for Chip Kelly to get it figured out uh, down in uh, Westwood. But I, fi- I feel like he's, you know, last season they definitely had a, a solid season. And I feel like he can carry that momentum this year. And you mentioned the schedule plays in so well this year. They have the easiest non-conference in the entire Pac-12 and they uh you know they sure they have to play Utah and USC but still I, I mean I think you know it's basically just the Pac-12 schedule and they get them at home too those the top right. two opponents are both at home the I look their schedule is probably the easiest in the entire Pac-12 sure you have to go to Oregon but still I mean if you're only playing a Pac-12 schedule you don't have any Georgias in your way you don't have any uh Florida's like Utah has to play like there's really no excuses for UCLA this year especially because they're veteran let I'm looking at the odds right now, Peter. Twelve to one to win the Pac-12. You think that's pretty good value there? Yeah, I, I like it. I mean, twelve to one. Yeah, I, fourth, I think there's some right now in the Pac-12. Uh, yeah, I especially because like the Pac-12 South now. You know, like that rule changed where it's it could be two teams from the Pac-12 yeah, South. Right, so sure, exactly. I, I see them as the third best team in the Pac-12 South. But suddenly, if they can just slide into that second best spot in the Pac-12 South, they're they're playing for a championship potentially. Yeah, very reasonable. Moving on, uh, Washington is expected to take on Colorado State in the. Frisco Bowl. Uh, Washington will uh, is expected to take a step forward and become bowl eligible this year, and that's about all I can say about the Frisco Bowl. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if I think if Washington does that, I think you got to be pretty happy with Kalen DeBoer in his first yeah. year, right? I mean, four and eight a season ago, just a terrible, just disaster of a year with Jimmy losing Lake. to Montana. State. Yeah, <laughs> and just started it out with the Montana lot. Like Jimmy Lake just looked lost as a head coach. If DeBoer can come in, get him to a bowl game, I think the momentum builds a little bit uh, for Washington. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's just kind of like Oregon State to an extent where Washington, you know, they haven't made a bowl since 19. It's been yeah. it's been a little bit. And so for Washington, that's about the same exact time as Oregon State missing out on bowls. Mm-hmm. So if you're a fan of the Huskies, you got to get back to a bowl this year. Yeah, moving on uh, to Washington State. They're expected to take on Mississippi State in the Birmingham Bowl. Um 
that sounds about right. I think Washington State, I mean, to me, they're the kind of the definition of a mediocre team, but there's a lot of variance within that. I run through their schedule and I look at their roster and I'm like, I could see this team winning four games. I could see them winning nine games where a lot of teams you can really kind of hone in. You can go, okay, they're going to win eight games. And that's what we expect with Washington State. I'm not sure exactly what I'm looking for there. Right. And Sean's talked about this. I know Sean is really high at Washington State this year. Cam Ward is just such a wild so card, good. right? And he was so good at Incarnate Word, but it was at Incarnate Word, mm-hmm. right? So how does that translate to the Pac-12? He brings his offensive coordinator with, or his head yep. coach is now the offensive coordinator at Washington State. So he's talked about how he is very comfortable with the system. And at Pac-12 Media Day with Gonzano, he was talking about he just needs to get on the connection with the guys. So I think he's got the first step down. He knows the plays. He knows how to run them. But can he connect and get the chemistry with the players? That, that's the next step. But he's got the talent to really become you know, one of the top quarterbacks in the Pac-12. Yeah, that game against Mississippi State, uh, hypothetically, would be a lot of fun because it's the Mike Leach Bowl, basically. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm really high on Washington State this year. I think there's a good shot that they could be the second-best team in the North. Um, I, if Cam Ward is as good as I think he could be, you know, he's, he was the best player in um, FCS. So, And he's he's got his head coach as his offensive coordinator from a, Incarnate Word. He's got the weapons there, and he's got the offense. I, I really like Washington State this year. They have somewhat of a tough schedule. they got to play Wisconsin in Week yeah. 2, which I probably, that's a that's a loss, yeah. I think, in the, um, you know, to, to play a physical team like that. Not a good matchup for Washington State. But I, I could see this team winning eight games. And, uh, you know, I think the bowl that you said, Peter, is probably like a six-win type bowl. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are sleeping on Wazoo. Yeah, I, I just I see them in a lot of games. Like, they're in the game, and it's just how can they finish. Again, I, I look at that, and I see so much variance. You know, a late fumble, you don't jump on a loose ball. Things go against your way. I literally could see them with four weeks. I could see them with nine, too. Yeah, truly. I, the Cougs seem like the type of team that goes on the road, beats Wisconsin, then comes home and loses to Colorado. Right? <laughs> like, that. that's kind of like the Cougs to be like, I'm with Sean, I'm with you. Like, they could be nine wins, they could be eight wins, but they could be three, right? Because the quarterback is so uncertain. I think Cam Ward's got a lot of skills, but does it translate to that FBS level? We just haven't seen it yet. So I'm excited to watch that week two game against Wisconsin. It's fascinating. Oh, yeah. Just style-wise. Just complete contrast of styles. Yeah, it's one. it's going to be great. Moving on, uh, Oregon is expected to face North Carolina in the Holiday Bowl. Thoughts on that? I mean, I think if you're Oregon, and I've said this before, I think you got to shoot for higher, right? Yeah. Like, I think right now Oregon is the number. Uh, I was looking at the odds right now. Oregon is number three in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. I disagree with that. I think they should be number two. two. I think they should be above USC, but USC is the favorite right now. I think if you're Oregon, you're shooting to get to that Pac-12 title game. So if you get to that title game, you're thinking Rose Bowl every time. So if you play North Carolina, yeah, it'd be cool in the Holiday Bowl, but I think it'd be a little bit of a disappointing year if you're Oregon. Yeah, you know, like I, at first I was offended when you said that. North Carolina, really? But it sounds like the Holiday Bowl is is for the third best team. Like last year it was UCLA. It ended up getting canceled last year because of COVID. But it was UCLA last year. So they were about the third best team in the Pac-12, if I remember correctly, maybe fourth. Uh, yeah, but again, Oregon's expectations are higher. Oregon, at least, I think, you know, the Alamo Bowl would make more sense. I think that would be for the uh, the second best team in the, the Pac-12, assuming there's no playoff. I think at that's got to be the baseline this year to make the Pac-12 title game. If you lose it, you go to the Alamo Bowl. I think the Holiday Bowl is would be a disappointing year. Yeah, and and that's where I'm landing. It, it, it can't be Rose Bowl or bust. In you know you have a first year head coach. I mean, obviously you're shooting for that, 
But uh, I certainly think you would settle for an Alamo Bowl. ESPN has them in the Holiday Bowl. So let's talk about the Alamo Bowl. As you can guess, they've got USC in there taking on OK State. Oklahoma State versus USC. Yeah, I mean, that would be a fun matchup, right? Oklahoma State, always a fun team. USC is just such a question mark for me. But right now they are the betting favorite in Vegas to win the Pac-12. And I've said this numerous times. I think right now they're going to go under their win total. I, I don't believe that you can bring in a lot of transfers into the sport of football and have them click good chemistry-wise right now in year one. I think in year two, it could work out great, but we've seen in basketball it can work, but in football, such a team game to bring in all these guys. I think it's going to be tough to get them all clicking on the same page. So I think if USC does get to that Alamo Bowl, it's a great season for the Trojans. Man, I, I hate the Alamo Bowl just from the TCU <laughs> thing back in 2015 oh, yeah. and uh, last year against Oklahoma. But, yeah, I mean, USC, I, I expect them. I think they have they have a high ceiling this year, but they also have a low floor. We've talked about it. I expect them to be a two-loss team. I, I think Lincoln Riley's going to be able to figure it out in, in year one, and I think they have the, the pieces in play. And despite, you know, the, the narrative that they have a bad defense, they have a bad O-line, they, they have some playmakers there. I, I do believe that. So I expect just two losses, but still, it's probably the Alamo Bowl. The hope is that Utah makes the playoff, and then whoever loses that Pac-12 titles in the Rose Bowl. But, uh, yeah. I was going to ask, Peter, do you think you know, USC could be 8-4 and four and still get to that Alamo Bowl because they could have a great conference record? Would that If that USC gets to the Alamo Bowl, I know their fans want to get to the Rose Bowl. They want to get the college football playoff. Is that a successful year in year one with Lincoln Riley if they get to that Alamo Bowl? Man, any other fan base, and I would say yes, but USC fan still thinks it's 15 years ago so i don't think they would be happy colin cowherd <laughs> don't get me started but <laughs> that's the thing it's like that i think that would be a very successful year for year be. one but like you said their fans are kind of crazy like they might not be happy with an almable appearance in year one with Lincoln Riley. Right, yeah, and, and I mean, they should be because that means, hey, some of these questions that were asked, like it means that they were mostly answered. A lot of these transfers worked out, even if not all of them were set up for the future, assuming that we didn't overachieve at skill positions so hard that everyone's off to the NFL draft. It means things are looking really good set up for year two. But again, there are, you know how it is. There are just certain fan bases that just expect the moon every single time. And you saw it as soon as Lincoln and Riley was hired. Everyone said, CFP, baby, here we go. Not to mention, you know, when Jordan Addison came in. I get it. I don't like it. I understand it. But I think I think if they do that, I think they'll be upset. I think you're right. I think you're right, and I think it's crazy. Because I just <laughs> to come off a four and eight year, and you just are basically going to fill your team with transfers, and that's how you're going to yeah. replace everybody. I think it's just expecting a lot to get them to the Rose Bowl, to get them to the Pac-12 title game. And I, I think if they do get the Alamo Bowl, a lot of momentum is going to be built for year two, and that's where they make their real big jump. But I think you're right. I think they're going to be disappointed if they get to that bowl. Yeah, it, but if they do, it's going to be interesting looking to next year, not just from USC, but, I mean, you have all the talent coming into Oregon next year. USC would continue to be on the rise. Yeah. We'll see what Utah looks like after another year, but you you potentially have some real powerhouses there. It's going to be great. Let's move on to the Sun Bowl. Florida State predicted to uh, take on Cal in the Sun Bowl. I think there's a chance Oregon State ends up there as well. But uh, Florida State versus Cal, Wilcox's team, I think that they're uh, – they know what they are. They're always going to say they're shooting higher. But, I mean, ultimately, they're just looking to be bowl eligible, have a 500 or above season, the Sun Bowl. Yeah, I think the world of Wilcox, I think he's a great head coach. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, the floor is really high with this Cal team. But is it six wins, right? Like, it may be <laughs> five and seven, maybe four and eight, but they still have a good year. Uh, their schedule, pretty tough. You know, at Washington State, at Colorado should be a win. But then at USC, at Oregon State, those are some tough road games. 
So I think it's going to be tough for Cal to get to six wins, even though I do love Wilcox as a coach. Six wins seems pretty high, and I think if they get there, you should be you should be happy as a Cal fan. Yeah, are we just assuming that every every Pac-12 North team is going to be a bowl eligible? Because I expect Cal to be the worst team in the North this year. As much as I I think Wilcox is a good coach, I I you know I you know my feelings about Washington State. I like Stanford this year. You know, I could see them being bowl eligible and still being last in the Pac-12 North since they have UC Davis and UNLV to start their year. But I do expect them to be the bottom of the standings in the Pac-12 North. So I'll be curious as you keep going down this list: Is Stanford and Oregon State going to be bowl eligible? Yeah, and, and so Oregon State, Oregon State was projected LA. to uh, go right, back to the right, yeah, LA yeah, Bowl. You mentioned that earlier. But I mean, I think outside of say Colorado and Arizona, I think there might be we might as fans be in for another season where everyone, aside from maybe the Utah, the Oregon, there's going to be a lot of beating up on each other, I think, in the middle of the pack. For lack of a better term, it's a lot of mediocre teams, right? They're all yeah. they're yeah. all in the middle, right? And you know, when when UCLA plays California, am I gonna expect UCLA to UCLA win every time? No. Like when if Cal beats them, I'm not surprised. Like those two teams, I think UCLA has a chance to win the back twelve, but they could lose the Cal. Like these teams are all relatively close, I think, besides Utah and Oregon and USC. Like they should be on a different level. But after that, man, it's it's all a lot of mediocre teams. Yeah, no, again, I, I, I can see Cal making a bowl game, but it, I still expect them, I, like Stanford, I like Stanford this year, I like Oregon State this year, I like Washington State, like I like all of these teams, so what's going to happen? Is this going to be bad news for Oregon, the fact that they're supposed to be p- top of the Pac-12 North, and they're in a conference that everyone's expected to do big things this year? Like, Possibly. Yeah, no, I, and you know, it's uh, I think it's uh, it's a detriment to the Pac-12 right now, the fact that, you know, the schools kind of beat up on each other. You don't have this in the SEC. Like, Bama takes care of business, even though there's a lot of good teams in the SEC. So does Georgia. And I hope this is a year in which we see teams like Oregon and Utah and USC take care of business against, you know, your Washington States and your Cals and your, uh, because that's how you make the playoff. Right. Exactly. 503-417-7575. What do you think about these ESPN bowl predictions? Are they right on? Are they crazy? saying the Oregon's going to end up in a Holiday Bowl? Are they crazy saying USC's going to be in the Alamo Bowl? How about Oregon State back in the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl? 503-417-7575. We'll go away, come back, more sports talk ahead. I've got to talk Blazers broadcasting. Of course, I've got to talk about uh, the NFL. Akib Talib's brother... Uh, of course, was charged with uh, murder earlier, and now that's impacting Akib Talib. Leave it here. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with the pulse from six to seven on seven fifty. The game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Got some breaking Blazers news coming in just a minute. But first, I told my fairly embarrassing strip club, er, gentleman's establishment story at the Acropolis about an hour ago. Truck driver Ken, he's got an Acrop story of his own. Truck driver Ken, what's up, man? Hey. Oh, headed home. Life is good. Good. <laughs> well, I don't know if they still do it, but back in the day, the Acropolis used to have just this moose of a burger. And my buddy and I would go in there, grab a burger from time to time. Well, the women caught wind of that, and uh, they weren't about to set foot in there. My buddy's wife, you know, very proper, 
elementary school teacher's age. She wouldn't say crap if she had a mouthful of it. And whenever they got to where they didn't want to cook, they knew we were going to go down there, get a buck's worth of quarters, a pitcher of beer, play a couple games of pool, get the burgers and bring them home. But to hear this very proper elementary school teacher say, why don't you boys head on down to the strip club and get us a bag of booby burgers? <laughs> it's just great. I love it. Appreciate that. Truck driver can drive safe, man. Appreciate the phone call. Yeah, I, I, I bet, and I'm not doing this, but I bet if I, say, just on the local show starting at 6 o'clock here in Portland, I bet if I just said... Give me your best a crop story. I bet you I could just burn phone calls for an hour. I've done stuff like that before. You know how it is. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, there's not a lot of sports going on. Maybe you know it's been a long week. Maybe it's like 84 degrees in the studio and you feel like taking a nap. Hint, hint, management. But then you just go ahead and throw something out that's going to fire off a, a bunch of phone calls. I think an A-crop story would be one of them. I got a little nervous uh, when he said moose. I, th- I didn't know what the, he was going to finish with that sentence. I was glad he finished with moose of a burger. Yeah, but, uh, it's, it's not like some moose of a dancer yeah, down there. It's I like, thought, oh. <laughs> I, thought that's what it, I thought that's what Truck Driver Kid was going with. And I thought, well, let's get, let's get our finger on the dub button ready. But, uh, yeah, no, I I think you could do that if you really wanted to, but you're not you're not like that. You're not a lazy guy. You're gonna work hard That's even right. through even through the heat. I do. It's it, hot in here. It, it is hot in here. I'm gonna be honest. It's toasty. I'm about to take my pants off. I'm take me back Turn to it my into co- a strip club at the studio. Yeah, that's right, man. Yeah. Get a pole in here. It'll take me back to my college radio days. I just down the street at Portland State, not in the basement of Smith, but in the sub basement of Smith. I did my dope radio show between the eyes in a room about half the size of this time. Tiny room that I'm in right now. And the issue is it was Monday nights. Now, why is that an issue? Because anytime there's a holiday that is recognized by the university, if it's on a weekend, you get Monday off, right? Sweet. No school. Except they're not turning on the air conditioning if anyone's in there. And I'm this tiny room with like 14 computers, a bunch of compressors, all the rat gear that it takes to have a, a broadcast. And it would be no joke, like 92 degrees in the studio. And I mean, man, no one's going to be down here. I just go ahead and just pop the jeans off, maybe take the shirt off, wring it out, and just fire off some uh, what I thought were funny takes. I uh, found an archive of that stuff a long time ago. I listened back to it. It's hilarious, but like I would like in real radio, I would have lasted about 15 minutes before they fired me. I thought I was being funny. I was just being a jerk most of the time. Speaking of jerks. The Portland Trailblazers, of course, word got out that they were not going to send their broadcast team on the road. And there was universal outcry. The fan bases, the celebrity fans, even KD Lang is weighing in. Of course, Kelly Coin from Billions. Of course, he weighs in. He's a super Blazer fan as well. It's universal across the fan base, across media outlets. Now... I have seen that they have now said that they will send TV and radio crews with the team this season. They heard you. If you reached out, if you called this show, if you complained on Twitter, see, that stuff works because they have heard you and changed their mind. Now, I know for a fact that they were discussing this internally since, like, when did that break? Wednesday? Since Wednesday, they were talking about it. I also know for a fact that they were talking about it 
yesterday, which is not a work day. And once I heard that, I knew it was over because you're not going to change course. You're not going to meet for an hour on a Sunday if it's something that you're going to just maintain and give fans the bird. So I've known for a couple hours, uh, Stephen, you have as well. We talked about this. This was going to happen. We just had to wait for that announcement. Yeah, it wasn't official, but it was pretty much official. Like when you're having meetings, on the weekend and numerous meetings last week just for hours. Like something's going to change because they realize, you know what, we did something wrong. Now what's the best case going forward? Is it just to admit we're wrong? Is it to say, oh, well, we initially did it because of cost cutting or, you know, come up with some excuse. It just seems like they come out and they're saying, you know what, we're wrong. and We're going to send all the broadcasters out, which is a great decision for the Blazers. Right? We talked about how bad it could be. And the, profession, the professional that the broadcasters are, they would have done a great job, but there would have been mistakes and they were yep. avoidable. Now that they're going on the now that they're going on the road games, it's just going to make the broadcast that much more successful and that more, more much more enjoyable for the season. And I know, you know, we talk about Rip City how they can be so divided in certain things. Like you said, it was a hundred percent all in favor of sending the broadcasters yep. out and against the team. So good on the team to admit they're wrong and to change the decision because they heard the outcry that we all did. Yeah, and so good on the fans, good on everyone. I mean, frankly, it was pretty cool to see a uh, united front amongst the media as well. It was, a, it was a pretty united front. And I have to give props to Dwayne Hankins because, look, I know this wasn't his idea, and he had to come out and fall on the sword. So props to him for being a pro. Props to him for whatever he did to uh, get the real decision makers to uh, change course here. And I look forward to seeing an excellent broadcast starting in just a couple months. It's great news, man. Great news. Yeah, no excuses now in the bad broadcast. They can't use that as an excuse. There's no more one camera that they're going to see. They're going (laughs) to be in the building. They're going to call it like they should. And you really get to see just how good the announcers are here in Portland. We're very... Uh, we are very uh, we're lucky, man. Yeah, we're lucky with Calabro and Hurd and Demers. Like all these guys are great, and to get all these guys and have them at their best, I think it's awesome for the Blazers, uh, especially in a year that is so intriguing and could be exciting, actually. So now, what I want you to do is take that ire that you directed to the team and now direct it to Root Sports and get them to broadcast <laughs> in 1080p. I don't need 4K. Sure, can I? Uh, can I watch? Uh, you know, Wisconsin. Can I watch Big Ten football in 4K? I can. I can do that with Fubo. Fubo has those capabilities. Can I watch other sports in 4K? Yes. Can I watch the Blazers in 4K? Oh, no. Can, well, I can at least watch them in HD, right? 1080? Oh, no. 720. Like, it's 2002. Now, look, this is the Blazers doing. That's not their choice. So, uh, can I uh, I would like to nominate Root Sports for the next uh, direction of fan ire. Can we do that? I, I think you can get about 95% of Blazer fans on board with that one, too. <laughs> not hard. Yeah. And then next after that is just Jody Allen out, and I think that's 100% again. I, I think we just need a list, Peter, and we're just going to check it off, kind of like in uh, Billy Madison. The guy who's got his list of all the people uh, he wants Bush to. Uh, yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah. I, I just, our Blazer list. First, it was the broadcasters. <laughs> next, it's Root. That it's Jody. I just directed, you know, 10,000 people to Root Sports, and then I'm just going to lean back like <laughs> Steve Bushimi and just give a heavy... <sighs> And then just start putting lipstick on. <laughs> 503-417-7575. The tweet's already rolling in. Jody's going to have to eat at McDonald's for weeks to recoup those losses. Oh, man. And Shane's in. Half pound beef for prime quality steak and a pint for five bucks. Crop could not be matched. Shane knows what's up. It's true, man. I was nervous the first time I went in and was like, I could get a filet mignon for $9. That makes me nervous. I'll be real, though. 
Strip club beef. It was serious. I wasn't going anywhere near the salad bar. A sneeze guard isn't a sneeze guard. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going anywhere. I'm sorry, guys. I'm not going anywhere near that thing. All right, we'll go away and come back. Keep it going on the other side. Samson Infraconzano, it's the BFD. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano on the Bald Face Truth. He's back tomorrow. Hope he enjoyed his time away. Trailblazers announced they are sending their broadcast team on the road. It's a good decision. It took a while to get there. It's the obvious decision. They now join the other 29 teams in doing so. That is great to hear. Uh, other broadcasting news in a different sport altogether Ex-NFL player Aqib Talib is now stepping back from Thursday night football. And we kicked this around last week. We wondered if this was going to impact him. His brother was arrested in a fatal shooting uh, at a youth sports game. There was an argument. I think it might have been with an official, and there were some other people involved. Aqib Talib's brother uh, allegedly, his name is Yakub Talib, allegedly grabbed a gun and uh, killed Another guy, a youth coach, Mike Hickman was his name. He then voluntarily turned himself into the Dallas County Jail last week. Uh, Akib Talib was reportedly also at that game. And uh, so Ian Rappaport rep- reported yesterday that he spoke with Akib Talib in light of the recent tragedy. He's going to step aside from his broadcasting duties at Amazon to spend time with the family. His broadcasting duties with Amazon were just announced in late June. Before that, he had been working as a commentator for Fox Sports. A spokesperson for Amazon confirmed the split. And I really, I do feel bad uh, for Talib because, I mean, ultimately, this is a great job, you know, for him. And ultimately, he sort of lost his opportunity, even though he, uh, you know, didn't really do anything wrong there. It's a shame. So that that happened and uh, I feel bad for him. I feel bad for him because ultimately he's not the person that committed this crime. Now, is this the right move? Do you think he was pressured to step down or it, was he deciding just to support his family now? Is this the right move uh, for to leave to step back? And what do you think Amazon will allow him back? Yeah, I mean, that's the tough part, right? Like, we talked about this. I don't think he was. I don't think he was. He had to leave. Right. I don't think he had to step down, but. I think for him, it may be better if he wants to really start his career as an analyst on TV. Maybe just try to get this in the back window, right? Like he had, he it was his brother, so it is a big deal in his family. Um, if he wants to make this his career, like it, it'd be kind of a distraction, right? And I think it's already tough enough to get into that business. So for him to have a distraction going like that, I think it may be good to him step away. But I don't think he was obligated to step away by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I I just think it's too soon. Like, he's going through an unspeakable tragedy, you know, like just to witness that, the fact that he was there, the fact that that happened, you know, with with someone else on his his brother's doing, allegedly. um, I just think none of it made sense. It was probably, 
I, I think it was uh, both sides, you know, agreed agreed to this. Um, you just too soon. No, like football is football's micro when it comes to stuff like this happening. Football is just small. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I it's a shame, right? Because I do feel bad for Akeem to leave. This wasn't his own doing. It's you know, it's it's impacting his career and more importantly his life. And um, I I really do like Akeem to leave as a color commentator. Him and uh, Gus Johnson yeah. last year, electric, absolutely electric. I feel like Akeem to leave brought something. different. Different that your your normal color commentator didn't always bring, um, you know, just with his playing background uh, as a corner and someone with a big personality on the field and in, in the booth. So it's a shame that we're going to be missing him this year. But I think it's just the fact that this happened just weeks before football season. This happened in the sphere of football, you know, at a uh, at a game, and um, it's just uh, I'm sure he's going through a lot of things right now. So hopefully he can take the year off and you know get back back soon take care of his mental health yeah i just hope that amazon will allow him back and that's the question right is you go okay like we absolutely understand this it makes perfect sense and so then you go okay or we got to bring someone in we need to have a uh, you know a commentator here and uh do you bring someone on a temporary basis or do you ultimately replace him and then Aqib talib is ready to come back say in a year from now or maybe even mid-season and then ultimately there's potentially not a spot for him so it's a delicate situation. I feel for him. I mean, honestly, I even feel for Amazon, and that that's amazing because I don't ever feel bad for giant soulless corporations. It's just a tough situation all the way around. It's just terrible. Don't I said this last week. Don't bring a gun to a youth sporting event. Just don't do it. Yeah. There's no reason to do it. Yeah, there's not. And you know, uh, Talib's lawyer said in a statement that you know Akeem Talib was present when this unfortunate incident occurred and is very distraught and devastated. So you know if you're really trying to become a really good analyst, you know, you've got to be 100 percent in. And yeah. I, I think right now, of course, you know, like I said, he's not obligated to leave, but if he's not all in, I think Amazon made the right choice. If they're going to let him back, step away, get your mind right. It is a very you know crazy situation where you may not be able to get out of your head. So you're not 100 percent focused on doing all the research you need to do having anything ready to go. So I think hopefully in the end it's good for both situations, for Amazon, uh, for Akeem, and they can get back together because, like you guys talked about, he showed a lot of promise. It was really good uh, when given the opportunity. Yeah, so it remains to be seen. I just hope there's a spot for him when he comes back if right. he does decide to do so. All right, we'll go away, come back, wrap things up here on the Bald Face Truth. John Canzano's back tomorrow, but you got 15 more minutes with me. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Final segment of the show. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter Sampson, S-A-M-P-S-O-N. Great way to participate in the show. JC is back tomorrow. I'm sure he'll have he'll have thoughts on the Blazers broadcasting nonsense. He'll have thoughts on uh, the Ducks preliminary conversations with the Big Ten. He'll have thoughts on bull predictions. He'll have thoughts on the Pac-12's media rights negotiations deals. There's so much going on. There's so much going on. There's no shortage of anything to talk about that's fun or relevant or controversial or newsworthy or impacts our life in a in a macro or micro sense. There's tons of it. Okay, that being said, you still have 
ridiculous things like this being pumped out. Is Kyrie Irving a superstar? Yes, Kyrie is. So, okay. I, Do you I, want me to I, say I, what I think about you? I agree. Okay. But then is Damian Lillard a superstar? I think that Damian has all of the superstar qualities, but it's hard to put him in it in this moment because of he just like needs a little more. But obviously, he like needs, he has that in him. Needs a little more. I mean, he's gotta win. He's gotta get there. Like that. It to me, that's a that's some of it. So you, so like champion, I think championships matter. So I mean, look. First of all, that's stupid. And second of all, from a ten thousand foot view. That's stupid. I mean, for Damon Lillard's a superstar, and that's not why I bring this up. It's cheap, easy talk radio to bring that up and be like, that's ridiculous. Damian Lillard's a superstar because of X, Y, and Z, and you call me and you tell me I'm smart, or you call me and you tell me I'm dumb. But really, who, and I mean who, gives a damn? Like, what a pointless conversation between Taylor Rooks and Jason Tatum. There are so many interesting things to talk about, and we're just going to say, okay, this person, are they a superstar? Yes or no? Oh, yes. Is this person a superstar? Yes. Is this person a superstar? No. First of all, if you've heard of them, they're superstars. Secondly, who cares? It's such an arbitrary thing, too. What what is a superstar? Right. What is you know, what is who? How do you define a superstar in the NBA? Is it all NBA? Is it all stars? Is it have you heard the guy's name? Right. Like it, there's not even a thing to talk about, and so it is so dumb. And so somehow Damian Lillard is always brought up in these conversations. I don't understand why it is. Like what? He's obviously a superstar because everyone talks about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, okay, I'll get suckered into the argument for a minute. I will. We, we'll get yeah, suckered in. Go. We all three will. But, like, he's the face of Adidas. He's a top 75 player. He is a superstar. Now you can go, is he a champion? No. Is he, uh, is he capable of being the best player on a championship team? I think so. I think so. I don't know if he'll get that opportunity. That we can absolutely debate that. Could Damian Lillard be a number one on, on an NBA Finals winner? Maybe, maybe not. Probably, possibly not. Who knows? But just is this guy that we're talking about on national television because there's nothing else to talk about a superstar? Yes. And who gives a damn? It's it like, is it just me? This not the argument itself. The fact that this argument exists is driving me crazy. It's been driving me crazy all day today. Dude, like the the Kyrie Irving Damian Lillard comparisons need to stop. Like, forget the superstar thing. The fact that t- Jason Tatum and Taylor Rooks basically just said Kyrie Irving's better than Damian Lillard. Like, that's gonna suck me in, and that's gonna that's gonna be a problem for me. Kyrie Irving, I don't even know how many games he's played over the last couple of years, but no one wants this guy. Like, yeah. no one. Like, to me, that debate's been over for four years. Yeah. Damian right. Lillard over Kyrie. I, yeah, like you know, maybe if Kyrie Irving was a consistent, you know, like. Played 82 games a year, or at least tried to play 82 games a year, and you know none of the drama. Then maybe it's a conversation, but that hasn't been a conversation ever since Kyrie left Cleveland years ago. You know, four or five years ago. So he's uh, he's not wanted around the league. Like you know, I don't think any teams really want him. Damian Lillard, if he was to be put on the market, teams 
would throw a lot of stuff at him, you know, and you know, like the Blazers would come away with some nice young players, draft picks, and really a king's ransom, better trade value than Rudy Gobert. So, uh, yeah, you can definitely <laughs> that's saying something, <laughs> right? Yeah, the Blazers would get a king's ransom for you know for Damian Lillard. Kyrie Irving wouldn't get you much, and we've we've seen that this off season. So, man, just that's the part that ticked me off with that. It was like you know, especially because Jason Tatum he went through the Kyrie Irving experience. Kyrie was there yeah. for two years. It was yeah. awful. You know, we saw what the Celtics did without Kyrie this year. So, man, uh, that's the part that really urged me with that. Like, you really, we're really continuing these Kyrie Dame conversations because it's not only them. I see it all over Twitter. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is, so when you see Skip Bayless sharing his thoughts on this, any people, I, it's a, it's a very common tactic to put something so stupid, so stupid out into the world. So that everyone will retweet it. They'll quote tweet it and say, I can't believe this guy makes a million dollars to talk about this when I'm smarter than him. Believe me, these people with these dumbass takes are having the last laugh on you because you're sharing their content. I saw it. I'm not repopping it, even to criticize it. Don't participate in it. If you want it to go away, you have to ignore it. I actually have uh, Skip Bayless muted, which is very nice. Yes, me too. It's a very great step to take in your relationship with Skip Bayless, I think. But, uh, it goes back to the whole thing of championships. How much do they matter? What is it, you know? What is that? Because her whole reasoning was Kyrie won a championship. So yes, he did hit the biggest shot. He's hit a bigger shot than Damian Lillard. He hit the game seven against the Warriors. He made the game winning shot. There's no denying that. But you just watch him play and you look at the stats, and there's no debate that Damian Lillard is not better than Kyrie Irving. So do championships matter? Of course they do. But there's lots of guys in all professional sports that have never won an NBA championship or an NFL championship or an MLB championship. So what are like what are we saying? Like how much is again, it's just so arbitrary to make these arguments. It's right. just so dumb. Like that's what stats are for to compare these people from different eras, from different just ways of life in stats. And so I mean, just to even talk about it, it's just it boggles my mind. Like, why do we keep doing this with Damian Lillard? I, yeah. And I'm not even the biggest Damian Lillard fan. Like, in Portland, I'm probably down on him more than everyone else. But, like, it's not even a question. Like, he's awesome. He's an all-star. As you said, you could probably win a championship with him as your best player. Like, there's no denying it. And so let's just stop talking about, is he good? <laughs> is he want to be in Portland? Is he a superstar? Of course. Yes, he does. He's awesome. And that's just what blows my mind. Because, look, if you're if you're a national, you know, someone who's plugged in, and you have an NBA superstar and you get to have a conversation with them, you can talk about much better stuff than that. And it, to me, it's a wasted opportunity. That, that's my one criticism of the NBA is that the offseason has gotten a little too big for me. It used and, to be so dope, too, but it's yeah, not anymore. And it's almost to the fact where people cared more about the offseason and the moves rather than the actual games. And me, as a guy who worked with the Blazers, watched film for them for 40 hours a week, I love watching the games. I love to break down the film. I love talking about what could happen on the court, not always off the court. And so these type of conversations drive me nuts. I think a big challenge of it and this might not be popular, I think a big challenge is a lot of people that watch the NBA don't necessarily, like, they understand basketball, they get the rules, but they don't understand basketball deeply, very deeply. And if you can't talk about that stuff, how do you keep those people entertained? You just fire off ridiculous hot takes and say things like, who's a superstar? Hmm. Do you think, is, is, Jason Tatum, are you a superstar? Is Kyrie? Is he a superstar? Is the Joe Joe Flacco elite? It's it's all back to that. 
it's ridiculous, and I'm over it. I'm so over it. If you're over it too, don't engage with that stuff online. That's what will make a difference. Just like engaging with the uh, the Portland Trailblazers on something you didn't like. I mean, I hate to say that bullying is good, and that's how you get changes, but hey, bullying's good, and that's how you get changes. That being said, don't engage with the things you don't like because these people, you know, the Skip Baylesses, the Stephen A's, the hot take artists, they don't care what you say as long as you're retweeting it, and they can go back to their company and say, look, I got 1.5 million views on this uh, on this tweet, on this video clip of me, and boy, oh boy, are our advertisers that have a 15-second pre-roll before, I can, before the, the viewer gets enraged, our advertisers are sure going to be happy about that. Oh, excuse me, I have to go fire off another terrible take. With that... I'm out of time. John Canzano back tomorrow. I want to thank Sean McPherson and Stephen Vaughn. I want to thank you wherever you are listening statewide on the BFT radio network in Portland. Leave it here. I'm starting the pulse in just two minutes. I'm giving away tickets to Allison Chains. I'm doing it all week. This is the BFT.